First, I'm going to introduce you guys. So I've got Frank here. How you doing, Frank? Doing well. That's Thank good, you. mate. That's good. And Remco, how are you, bud? Yeah, good, mate. That's good. You're looking very swish with your headphones on there, mate. Ah, <laughs> uh, mate, you know, look sexy here with those things here. Beautiful, beautiful. So, Spaghetti uh, out of the year. Firstly, uh, might introduce yourself to the guests there. So we'll start with you, Frank. Um, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself there, buddy. Uh, well, I've been uh, designing and making guitars for a really long time. I spent some time with Seymour Duncan after I came up with the P-Rails and turned out, you know, worked out a, a deal with them and then became their product development uh, VP for several years. Um, after that, I went, uh, I brought this Fluence technology, what became Fluence, brought that technology to Fishman. Awesome. Um, so spent some time, you know, I've, I still work with them and we, you know, voice pickups and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the meantime, I've always made guitars. And so uh, upon exiting Duncan, I also then uh, started Falbo Guitars. And so I make Falbo Guitars, which are all kinds of different things and acoustics, electrics, hollow bodies, uh, semi hollows, multi scales, headless now. Beautiful. So, so I, I actually uh, read on your website that you're, you're, you're a bit of a player as well. You like to play. You're not just coming from a design standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I do play. I, sometimes playing is good if you're a product designer. Sometimes it makes you um, sort of uh, self-centered. So you play and then you design things that just you like. So I try to not be that person. You know, I've kind of focused on seeing everybody and, you know, looking at somebody saying, well, this guy's having trouble playing this because of something, you know, maybe, you know, can I fix that? And it's, and it's it, in a product development standpoint, it shouldn't have anything to do with what I like or the kind of picks I like to use or the sounds. If I'm more of a Mesa guy than a Marshall guy or whatever, doesn't matter. Awesome. Um, so I try to kind of divorce myself of that, but yeah, I can play. And when I'm demoing stuff, you know, people, uh, it's like, um, you know, oh man, you can play that, and I usually response is yeah for ten seconds. You know, <laughs> I can I can do a lot of things for about ten to twenty seconds to make sure that the product works right. But you know, sure, after a sure. you know, thirty minute set, you probably you, see limitations sure. pretty quickly. <laughs> so Remco, I've got modest. Remco from He's too uh, modest. Okay. I've got Remco from Apollo Music Parts here as well. So Remco, how about you introduce yourself? Introduce yourself to the guests, mate. Tell us a little, little bit. Ah, uh, okay. Well, who am I? Um, Immigrant in Australia from Holland. I started my whole guitar journey in Holland working with a master builder called Denny Markovic, who worked with Patrick Egel and with uh, Michael Tobias. He learned me stuff, or he, or he taught me stuff. I learned from him. And while I was at this place, um, Denny now worked on a lot of famous Dutch musicians' guitars and on pro development there already when I started learning everything in the Luthery. Which was funny enough, at NAM we bumped into uh, Fred Brom who is endorsed now by, um, um, uh, come on, where is it again? Um, it's a Dutch guitar line. Uh, oh, Jesus, come on. <laughs> Dutch guitar line? No, I'm trying to think, mate. Which Sorry. one that might be? No, uh, I forgot the name of it now. Um, so he plays Aristides. Aristides, yes, Aristides. And while I was with Danny, I, I already started working product development and helping out with Aristides guitars. And what I learned there, I took it back to Australia. I've been a luthier repair guy, and I had my own wholesale business for a while. And then I rolled into being a guitar tech to Australia, right, and parts of the world. And now I'm just designing hardware. Uh -huh. With Frank, he's my partner in crime. Two hats wearing, you know, doing our stuff, basically. 
Nice one. Nice one. So how did you guys meet? Did you say at NAM you met? No, no, we no. met before NAM. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, about this time actually last year or a little mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're just working on some hardware designs, concepts, and things like that. Nice, nice. Now, Frank, you yeah. mentioned uh, you designed the uh, the P rails for Seymour Duncan. I did. Yeah. What an awesome concept, mate! What an awesome was, concept. I, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that was. I was out of the business for maybe ten years. I was still making guitars for myself or you know other people that I know, but I was out for for a while. And when um, and then I came up with that idea. I'm from the Chicagoland area. Okay. Uh, mid Midwest, you know. So to move to California was to go to work for Seymour Duncan. So that's what I did. I I, uh, I came up with that. I was talking to them about licensing it, and then it, uh, you know, they wanted to license it, and they also needed a new product person. So those two things just sort of timed out, right? And I made the move. So they did. They made it, and we did, you know, I don't know, twenty products a year or so on average for about six years. Aha! Nice one. Now, yeah, what made you think of putting all those different sounds into the one one pickup you know the i think the biggest thing was th just the idea that somebody wanted a humbucker that when it was split would sound like a p90 those were like the two things that you know you couldn't really get together and so when i looked at the p90 geometry and i thought about how you could combine that with you know a blade coil thing you know it just it's just trying to figure out what kind of you know how much stuff you can fit into one you know to one area, but then there's a ton of management of the magnetic circuit. Uh, how tall the pole pieces are sticking out of the bobbin for the P90, how tall the rail coil is, how close this is to the strings versus that. Uh, so there's a lot of things that had to line up, but uh, yeah, once they did, I started making some prototypes and uh, then I sent some to Duncan. And so then eventually they sent me some parts to make prototypes using their specific bobbins and things like that. Uh, and so all that happened before I flew out, but uh, yeah, eventually, you know, it, it came about. But so then the other sounds that are available in there, they're kind of a byproduct. So you design the main design was to get the P90 accurate to be, as best it could be inside of a humbucker shell because you have a size limitation. Okay. So the ideal P90 that would still fit in a humbucker shell, and then everything else is 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 sort of birthed out of that. Nice one, nice one. You know, I, I got to admit, I'm um, I'm actually quite a late convert to the sound of the P90. Um, it's mm. only been in recent times that I've actually got to try them and gone, oh man, there's that sound I've been looking for that has yeah. the uh, that extra drive um, over yeah. a single coil without the wimpiness, but still retains the sound of the wood of the guitar. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, anyway, For, when I listen to to um, humbucking pickups, that's more. And correct me if you hear it differently, but a humbucking pickup, you're hearing more of the, the, the amp, whereas to me a single coil is getting the sound of the wood of the guitar, but it just needed that to some more extent. strength. Yeah, yeah, to some extent. Some of it has to do with the string window. So when you have a two humbucker, you know, two coil humbucker, you're, hearing, you're listening to the string at two different points. And so it could be argued that when I have a single coil and I have one main source, one main point where I'm looking at the strings, there's a little bit less uh, comb filtering. There's a little bit more purity. Now, it's still going to have its sonic character, whether it sounds really mid-rangey or a little trebly or whatever. Um, but to, to imply that you hear more of what the guitar is constructed of by listening to a smaller 
you know, window, or let's call it a unified string window, without you know differing information, um, could be accurate. So yeah, I'm not. I you know. I, 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 did, no, say, I did say. I did say would. I have no I problem with your statement. I don't necessarily mean the wood, but it just it's a uh, yeah, more of the guitar is what I mean. Yeah. No, yeah. I absolutely understand. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, so humbucker puts the two, you know, wider string window. Now it's a little more sound of the pickup. You know, it can be just a little more of that, right? Yep. Because it's making a sound out of these two coils across yep. the larger string window. Sure. So, Frank, um, at what age did you start tinkering with all this kind of stuff? I started playing when I was eight, and I probably started taking guitars apart when I was 12 or somewhere in that range. And so... Um, I just was taking, I took stuff apart and tried to figure out how it worked. So take it apart, put it back together. I did a fret level, you know, my first fret level when I was 13 wow. and just my head was always in like things like the Stuart McDonald catalog, reading, looking at tools and the tool would say, you know, when you do this to a guitar, this tool will make this easier. And then the light bulb would go off. I said, well, that's how they would do that. You know, that's how you get a fret out. That's how you level it. That's how you crown it. That's how you do this. Uh, so, because there weren't as many, of course, there wasn't YouTube, so there also weren't as many resources. I read a couple of books, you know, did what I could, learned what I could learn that way. But I was always bitten by the bug, so I was always into music and guitar. So by the time I'm 15, I was making guitars, you know. And uh, by the time I was out of high school, I had made them in a wood shop, and it just, I don't know, but it's been a love affair ever since. Sure, sure. And do you have a preference between the, the woodworking side of things or working with the electronics? What's is it just a big they're package? Both, yeah, yeah, I, they both fascinate me. You know, the six years I spent with Seymour Duncan, obviously, I was a little bit more focused on the electronics and pedals and things like that. Uh, but I, I don't. I would probably be sad if I were forced into one and had to never do the other. Uh, but no, I like I like them both. Okay. And how about you, Remco? When did you start out? with all this kind of stuff, mate? Uh, a little bit older than Frank, probably. Um, when I was in my 19, 20 years old, mm -hmm. I wanted to play guitar, but I had no musical bone in my body. <laughs> still not, still not. Um, but there was this music store in my hometown in Enschede, and they had like a big window of guitars, and every Thursday night, I would be on my pushback going to rugby training, and it was like my stop just to drill at the window, and it was uh, yeah, just beautiful stuff in there. So one day, I just walked in, bought a guitar, and then I was like, and now I need lessons. So <laughs> I looked up, found a guitar teacher, went there, and he taught me something, and that guitar was just incredible to play. It was like an action. You can fly a jumbo jet under it, and I was like, my fingers are bleeding. This should not be, you know. Um, I saw videos of guys like Cetriani and Five playing all those necks and Eddie Van Halen. And I go, like, well, you know, it can't be that difficult, you know. Um, so as what Frank did, you know, I start to go to my dad's garage and take the tools out. And, oh, there's a little screw here. What does that do? Oh, that lowers this. And if I do that, then we'll do that. Then I did my first guitar set. I went to my guitar teacher and I said, it's just good. He started playing it. So, oh, man, this is fantastic. Where did you go to? Oh, Dad's Garage. And he asked me which music store that was. <laughs> I said, no, it's my Dad's Garage. You know, I took it's, the it's a good name for a store, though. Well, it is. It, it, it is. Be, uh, not in Holland, not in Holland yeah. though. But um, 
yeah, that's how I started with twinkling whip guitars and, um, you know, moving around. And yeah, from there on, one thing came to another, you know, um, started to get interested in design. That's how I moved around in Holland and I went to Amsterdam to Denny and uh, started uh, learning from him, which was basically, you know, it should be a guitar building course where you sit in with the guy, you get a chunk of wood, you design and built the guitar, but it turns into way too more than that. You know, we became friends. Um, as people know, if I'm around in a room and we got something to talk about when I'm passionate about, I can talk for hours. And you do like to talk, so, mate. You do like to talk. I, I can, I can vouch well, for that. Well, you know, if, if, I, if I got a subject that interests me, then yes. And uh, so with Danny, it was sitting around talking, 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 talking. And it's like, oh, it's about we put the machine on and, uh, you know, do something. Oh, shit, it's already, you know, 12 o'clock at midnight. Let's go <laughs> on. You know, uh, <laughs> another day wasted. Uh, but that's how we actually started talking about, you know, guitar design and hardware and wouldn't it be cool if this or if that. And all these ideas and all this talking, what I did then with Danny, uh, all became hardware parts of ideas that we've got now. Or what I came up with now, and it's the same with Frank. Frank came up with ideas and I put them all in there. So all this thought process of, well, 20 years of you know, noodling and talking about guitar stuff all comes out now, you know, sure, when sure. I've got the abilities to do this. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that is, um, yeah, you know, Frank is a guitar nerd. Uh, he's the biggest guitar nerd out of all of us, I think. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you know, it's just bitten by the bug. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. So, guys, we talked a bit about your past there. Where are you guys at now? Frank, what, where are you set up now? What are you working on now? Um, so... I have Falbo guitars, and I still work with Fishman. So those are the two main things. So Fishman, uh, new you know new pickups, uh, everything that we're you know that uh, all R and D that's working on that we're working on over there, as well as uh, my guitars. So in my guitar line, I'm still producing the acoustics. I still make my hollow bodies, and uh, I make solid bodies now that are kind of live in that Les Paul Junior type of area. Um, I also make multi-scale guitars, ergonomic style guitars, headless guitars. So really all the way from acoustic, you know, uh, through the, what I would probably describe as cutting edge when okay. it comes to the, you know, whether, whether it's the pickups, the hardware, the headless and the headed, the ergonomic shapes and things like that. Um, and so, you know, it's all sometimes I design stuff just because I want to see it come to fruition. Other times I'll have customers come to me and say, Hey, can you do this? You know? And so, um, that's when I had customer, you know, can you make a headless? Can you do that? You know, can you do this ergonomic guitar? What would you do if you were going to make a multi-scale and how would you, you know, how would you do it? So, uh, it's, 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 it's all of those. It's all of those things. It's a pretty big span. I started the company based on a patent that has since been granted on the way I handle torque uh an acoustic guitar bridge or hollow oh, wow. body cool cool so i have a unique way actually this um mini jazz box behind me utilizes it um but so that was kind of a sense of purpose to move from acoustic and hollow body instruments to start there and then gravitate back towards solid bodies over time after i established sort of this you know understanding that you know that i had this new tech you know that people needed to be made aware of okay okay now, you mentioned uh, the multi-scale instruments earlier, and there's been a big um, – it's become very popular, I've noticed, when I went to the Melbourne Guitar Show recently. 
Um, and I got to <laughs> try one for the first time recently. Um, Ernie, really? Yeah, Ernie at ET Guitars. Um, I borrowed one of his guitars and I was immediately taken by um, how easy it was to play provided I didn't look. As soon as I looked Correct. around, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was gone. I was like, oh, this is yeah. too weird. But yeah. if I looked away, there was no adjustment really needed. Now, yeah. what advantages to people who don't know a, what a multi-scale guitar is, um, they may have seen the fanned frets. Can you explain to us some of the advantages of playing a multi-scale yeah. instrument? Absolutely. Um, I became friends actually with Ralph Novak, the inventor, back in the early 90s when I was in the industry for the first time. And he, he, he came up with these multi-scale instruments. He, the term he coined was fan fret. Um, but everything he did seemed to center around the 12th fret, and then he fanned everything out from there. That made it feel a little bit stretchy down by the first, second, and third fret um, by comparison to how it felt up towards the top. He also had a patent on it. So for a very long time, there was only him and maybe one or two other people who were doing it because they were the only ones willing to pay his license fees, which were very high. And so it wasn't until years later, you know, he was ahead of his time, but also his patent expired. So people started doing it because just like Floyd Rose, people will make a locking tremolo now. They didn't make one before because they would be sued by Floyd Rose. So these patents, you know, they live for a while, they expired. His idea was the bass strings should be longer, the treble strings should be shorter. They're easier to bend, but they also sound better when they're shorter. If you think of a piano, it's got teeny little strings for the high ones and really long ones for the bass. You can think violin, viola, cello, string bass. So it's a, you know, it's a, uh, it's a better sound when you have a longer scale for lower notes because sure. the longer string can be pulled tighter and it does a better job of producing those sine waves, right? Okay. And, you know, and, and making those vibrations. And so what the current crop has sort of done is also played around with which fret was going to be straight. So for me, it's like the eighth fret. Uh, sometimes I've done the seventh on an acoustic because there's less fretboard up top. There's only 20 frets. So seven, eight, nine, some guys doing nine. If you get the straight fret there, then by the time you get to that first fret, it's not as fanned. And then you can compensate a little bit easier when it gets more fanned up into the 20s, you know, to 20-something frets. So that's just kind of a, an adaptation, right? Once this thing went open source, you had people doing some different things about it. But even back then, that was my thought too, because I played Ralph's guitars, you know, like I said, at NAMM in 90, whatever it was, 92, 94. And um, yeah, if you, don't, if you don't think about it, you're okay. You sure, know, if you sure. think too hard about it and you look too close at it, then you might, you know, you might get tripped up a little bit. Okay. So but. you mentioned about it going open source. Um, now, the whole mathematics behind getting the, the scale length right for each one, is that something that is shared amongst everybody? Or have you come up with your own formulas for that? How do you work that? It's very basic math. Um, you can basically draw one scale along the treble side, draw your other scale along the bass side, line them up and connect the dots and you've got your fret you know lines there's other software out there um where uh, you just type in all of your information and it'll spit out a dxf file so that you can import that into your stuff and it's not perfect at that moment i'm still making a lot of modifications to the the geometry you know to those to the stuff once i bring it into my program there's a lot of little tweaks i do uh, to make it exactly how I want it. 
But essentially, the math is pretty simple. Yeah, if you started with a CAD file of, you know, two different scale lengths and you lined them up just right, like I said, you could you could connect the dots. There are some theories that want to see this all emanate from like one point, and okay. they're thinking of it as like this, you know. Essentially, it works out to be almost kind of the same, but, you know, that just dictates which scales you'd combine with one another and what have you. Because otherwise, you know, if you combine two disparate scale lengths, you might they might not all converge at one point. They may come across and then, you know, start to intersect. And I mean in the dist off in the distance right sure sure so i don't I, I don't mess around with any of that stuff i don't care what these things what these lines would look like as they exit yep. you know the, the yep. fingerboard you just have a scale down one and a scale down the other side it is radius so sometimes you take that into consideration but essentially each string is going to just be now on its uh, on its you know in between scale length sure wherever that is but it's going to intonate right as so long as the frets were in the right place you know, on both on both ends. It's very hard to do with a handsaw. It's very hard to do with a miter, you know, saw. So the people who make their fret slots more manually or even on a table saw where they come across, you know, with an indexer, they can't really do it. You really kind of, you should be doing, cutting these fret slots into CNC. Okay. So that okay. you can get, you know, get the accuracy. But I, you know, I've, I've heard of people doing it by hand as well. So. You know, oh, yeah, I've seen people making jigs. Yeah. So, we all know that Brian May built his Red Special guitar uh, with his father when he was a kid. And um, now that's a peculiar scale length. I can't tell you off the top of my head exactly what that scale length is. But um, I'm sure right. Remco knows, but Frank, you probably don't know. I spent a few years uh, impersonating Brian May in, a, uh, in an inter international. Um, during Queen Tribute Act. And um, wow. one thing that got me about playing his Red Special style guitar was the fact that that was the only guitar I could play. Um, was it We Will Rock You? Yeah. Um, and do that mm. A chord up high and have the intonation right. Any other guitar would just sound really weird. So everyone knows that Brian is uh, you know, an astrophysicist and a very cluey man. So... Him and his dad worked out the mathematics behind his particular scale length and, and really got that right. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's well, yeah, it's it's basically just a mathematic uh, calculation to get your fret spacing. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, there's there's a calculation for that which you can actually just times 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 and you take every number down I can, I can I can show you how it's done. Okay, and you can actually calculate each uh, string spacing. For whatever you you can make any scale length what you want. If you want to have a uh, 24.8 inch scale length, you can do that. You can okay. just have to calculate it. Um, yeah. I just built a guitar. It has a 590 mil scale length, whatever that makes in inches. I don't know. It's got okay. 22 frets on it, and you yeah. just calculate it. You just put the, the 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 length of the total length for the nut and the bridge in there. Yep. And then you just calculate each fret, and each fret is then accurate to thousands sure sure yeah. so, so speaking of, of multi-scale instruments remco uh, i've noticed that um a lot of builders are starting to use your hardware your bridges um yep. on their multi-scale instruments um why do you think that is why is your your bridge becoming the, the go-to for that um because it's good <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, the reason why I got into that is that when I did my thing with, with Danny, we were talking about, you know, the multi-scale and, and what is the future of the guitar. Because if you look at it, um, Leo Fender, you know, brilliant engineer is what he came up with, you know, uh, with a Telecaster um, and then the Strat and all that. Um, nothing happened for a very long time. Then we had all of a sudden this guy, this other Dutch guy, you know, Mr. Edward Van Halen, who uh-huh. went at a chisel and starts to uh, combine a Les Paul and a Strat together, you know, a humbucker on a Stratocaster. It wasn't done before, um, where Edward just did, like, I want this, and yep. he created his own guitar towards that. Yep. And, you know, um, and then, you know, hardware, um, for instance, this is our finished mono tuning bridge it came from this okay that was the very first design of what i made doesn't look at all of what we've got now you know it's evolution okay you've never seen it frank i think no that one now so you know it, it came from a point where you know i bought myself a cnc machine uh, five years ago, and I did not have a clue how to make designs. I knew how to design a guitar on paper, but not in 3D. So I had to self-learn, which I did. And from there came on designing hardware. But I thought, well, if I can design a guitar, let, let's tinkle out with hardware. And being a guitar nerd, I just surfed the net and find information and all this. And there was this company from Japan um, who already had like a similar style of headless bridge like this and i just used my imagination started designing it and now all our parts are made out of brass now okay. brass is a very good uh, responder for for frequency which a guitar needs frequency it needs vibration sure sure we had and, a very uh, interesting little shootout uh, a year or two yeah. ago didn't we remco where you wanted me to do yeah, a video combined, um, uh, showcasing sustainer blocks sustainer yeah, yeah. um mm. and we thought well, the rumor is that brass gives you all this magic sustain, right? And that's what we're ex- expecting. I, I can remember saying, mate, I'll do the video. You do the hard work here, mate. You pull the guitar apart and do all that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did a bit of a test, and we were actually pretty surprised, weren't we, at the at the outcome that it, it didn't, didn't change really that much. It has your normal sustainer block, and it was all on a uh, an Ibanez tremolo. Yeah, and the, the actual... The sustain wasn't affected, but the tone definitely the tone. was. Yeah, that was immediate. It was like, okay, so the sustain was exactly the same. But holy crap, how's the tone difference? So that brass really well, and then, did and then, and soak then up. You know, brass, it's got a different frequency in yep. how it responds yep. than, than uh, stainless steel or your casted um, uh, alloys. Yep. And mm-hmm. that's why I decided um, to go with um, brass. Sure. Um, for instance, you know, uh, Stramberg or Stramberg had this vision. I want to build a lightweight guitar. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's why he decided to go with um, air grade aluminum or aluminium, however you pronounce it. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, Frank also always corrects me on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know what you're so, talking about. Well, we got, so we got three guys with funny accents why, right why, now. All is stuck yeah. with, with, with um, aluminum. Because of the lightweight. Now, brass is heavier than aluminum. Sure. So it gives a different tone. Um, yeah. I don't want to go completely lightweight. I want to go for tone. 
Yeah. The key thing, I think the key thing is application. So, you know, like this is a, you know, a wraparound tailpiece that I use on something. It happens to be aluminum. It has to be, happens to be lightweight. However, and this one, the strings attach it to a block that's in the body, something completely different. You know, it's a different design. It's kind of based on the, you know, the torque management stuff that I was talking about earlier. But what we found, you know, is like for an individual string bridge where you just have one, you know, bridge per string, then to get that weight up just a little bit and to get the, you know what I mean? To have a little more of a solid delivery system from between string and body wood was a total improvement. Okay. And, uh, you know, so there's times we'll use steel as well, like on a base plate for a tremolo. Of course, that's like hard steel, you know? So, so it it is, uh, you know, like in the seventies, there was this brass, um, you know, revolution where everything you could put on your guitar made of brass was going to be an improvement. And that turned out to be, you know, not the case, but in some cases it was a, it, it added value to use brass. So really, it's a, you know the, using the material specific to the task. Maple makes a very stiff neck, and all maple-bodied guitar, though, you know they can be great. But there's a lot of people who will not, not like that. They would prefer a swamp ash body, right? Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's all you know. You're choosing the material for its application. Sure. Now you mentioned yeah. a wraparound bridge, like uh, mm-hmm. we talked the old stop tail piece. Type are, are we? And do you think there is a difference, like say on a Les Paul, when some guys wrap around, they come backwards and wrap over? Are they wasting oh. their time? Have you ever conducted anything <clears throat> to suggest that that does help? Or yeah, if you're talking about just taking a regular Les Paul and instead of stringing through the bridge, you wrap over and top wrap, right? Yep. Yep. If that's what you're referring to, yep. that can affect what people perceive as the tension, how hard they have to press to get a string to go down. Okay. It's not technically it's not technically changing the tension because to reach the pitch of E is the same exact tension. There's nothing you can do to change the tension to reach E on a 46 gauge string, for example. Okay. However, if you have a little give on either side from either a long headstock or from, you know, a top wrapping a Les Paul bridge, for example, there can be this, or, or not having as much downward angle, right? So top wrapping means that it comes over the saddle, you know, much at a much shallower uh, sure. break angle. Yep. So that can affect sort of the perceived grip, you know, what it takes to grip that note and get a little bend going uh, or to squeeze it to the fingerboard. As far as the tonality, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a spider web, you know, because I yeah. do things where I'm managing and balancing torque on how the vibrations will enter the body and sort of create a feedback loop with the, with the, with the guitar, you know, with the string between the strings and the body or the top of a hollow body guitar, for example. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, there's going to be some difference uh, even on, you know, on a Les Paul top wrapping it in tonality but it's probably down in that noise floor you know where the majority of the people if they top wrap they're going to do so because of the feel they're not going to top wrap necessarily because the sound is some kind of some magical sound okay okay yep interesting i'm I'm not really a a a gibson kind of guy i'm more of the fender kind of guy so i i don't uh have guitars around to, to try it out for myself. But I, I read a lot of people, a lot of forum guys, you know, swearing that, oh, it changes the tone and stuff. And, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Did you just say there's a lot of forum and internet people that are arguing about different concepts? Of, <laughs> that's where, where have unheard I Unheard of, unheard yeah. of forums. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Now, um, so talk about tone. 
and talking electric guitars, not acoustic guitars, tone wood. Yeah. I was very surprised at the Melbourne Guitar Show recently uh, where I went and played a guitar that was made out of all aluminium. Uh, it was hollow. It just had like a, a shell around the outside and some supporting braces um, and not much else. And it sounded great. It, it sounded great. So that got me thinking. Tone wood? Okay. So... Not talking acoustic guitars, because Frank, you did say you, you do build acoustic guitars as well, and I'm sure, well, I, I know that um, the wood does affect that. But what do you guys take on tone wood in electric guitars? Uh, who's taking it first? Well, I will take first, because then you Go. can... Uh, no, yeah, I will skewer, I will absolutely tear to shreds, whatever you say. Exactly, that's what I mean. Tone wood, tone wood, it's... Uh, <clears throat> You can build a guitar out of any kind of stable wood or material. And you can build it out of aluminium, is what you said. I, Aristides guitars is not wood. They sound brilliant. Flexwood guitars is spruce, fibers tearing apart, mold injected with a resin and wood fibers. Brilliant guitars. There are guitar bodies made out of acrylic. They weigh a ton. They sound brilliant. And then you can have guitars built out of all kinds of different woods, which are called tone wood. Um, it's a sales pitch. That's the way I see it. You got good wood and bad wood. You know, I'm not going to go to IKEA and take a shelf there and glue it together and build a guitar out of it. Uh, it. It will not work because it's not stable. But if I got a stable piece of wood which has been dried and uh, does not warp or bend or you know just a good piece of wood, I can build a guitar out of it. That's what you said with uh, Brian May. You know, it was a mental piece out of some old oak, apparently. Now, oak is not really a tone wood because it's heavy. Sure, sure. But Brian May makes it sound good. Mate, you I know? think uh, Brian's the kind of player, though, that he could take anything and just make it good. Well, but that's with all the big guitar players, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. Our good friend in Australia, Phil Emanuel, you know, um, you and I both know him very well. I didn't know uh, him that well. I, I crossed paths with him a few no, times. I've got friends okay, that know him well, very well. Yep. I, th I thought you did. Well, Phil Emanuel, you know, I think he's the best guitar player in the world. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of a guitar you give him. Sure. It was hard like Phil. And it will be the same if you would get Steve I, Steve Lukather, Joe Cetriani, whatever. They sound like them regardless of any guitar they play or any gear they play over. Sure, sure. And, yeah, I, mean, and, I mean, a classic um, for that is um, Eddie Van Halen. We, we mentioned uh, Eddie Van Halen earlier when he was using the Steinberger on the 5150 era, you know, guitar essentially yeah. made of, what was it, plastic or, or carbon fiber. And yeah. I didn't listen to those particular songs and go, oh, his tone's different, is it? You know, um, that didn't jump out at me. But having said that, I do have other guitars that sound different and... I don't know. I, I'd like to conduct conduct some tests myself. Um, it's all in here. It is all in the fingers. I got a friend. It's all in the fingers. I got a friend who recently he was in a band that supported Kiss a couple of years ago. No, Def Leppard. He was supporting Def Leppard, and he said that um, after they did their support act, Vivian Campbell stuck his head into the dressing room and said to him, "Hey, man, you." Your tone was amazing. I was going to ask you what you were using, but we all know tones in the fingers and then sort of walked mm -hmm. off cheekily. So, uh, Frank, what's your take on it all, mate? 
So here we go. Uh, here we go. Here we go. I'll go. Yeah. I mean, it's no. I mean, it's we're basically saying the same thing, except everything Remco said was wrong. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So uh, the string is attached on either end to what it's attached to. Okay. And pickups here, and this is so part of what I'm going to say to you is based on all this R and D that I've done in pickups. Sure. Sure. Because people say, well, you can get any guitar, and as long as you put in a certain pickup or whatever, it's going to sound like the pickup. Well, I've done extensive R&D testing on pickups to know that when I move this pickup from this instrument to that instrument, I now know, I can tell you what's different. And okay. it's the same pickup. Yep. And so we actually took a lot of care, painstaking uh you know, care to build guitars that were made not only from the same wood, but the same tree, literally the same board. So you had body, body, you know, neck, neck. So we'd have to, you know, we made two, three, four guitars that uh, were the same to one another. They were brothers, you know, sisters to, to, to one another, same tree, yep. so that we could minimize the difference between the wood um, when we were testing pickups so that we could A, B things back and forth. At Fishman, we use a lot of shuttle guitars where you just pull the pickup out, put the new one in, okay. and you're listening to the, you know, your A-B testing in a matter of uh, seconds at that point. Sure, sure. But the string is extremely sensitive, and I'll go back to what you guys both said because it's very important. The string is so sensitive that it can tell the DNA of its user, meaning how sensitive must a string be and the string giving the information to a pickup, how sensitive does that thing have to be in order to be able to tell whether or not it's got Stevie Ray Vaughan bending the note on the other side of it or whether it's got Eddie Van Halen bending the note? Sure. So these strings, if you look, if you can really see what a string is doing and all the harmonic content, it's incredible. It's like, you know, it's like looking at a strand of DNA for the first time. There's so much information there. And yes, it has to have a pickup that translates the information. The pickup is a filter. The volume control is a filter. The pedal is a filter. The amp is a filter. Everything is a filter. But I can take, because you talked about studies, people have done all these tests where they're like, look, here's mahogany. Here's a swamp ash. You can't even tell the difference. Come on. But if I was taking, because I've had to do this for artists, right? Sure. If I was taking a guitar that was made of swamp ash and then I took the same or similar guitar that happened to be made of mahogany, I could play them in front of an amplifier in such a way as to sort of exacerbate the differences. I so can. I could show you, I could say, see, with the mahogany one, I can get it to do this, okay. uh, you know, yep. and have something happen. And then I could say, you know, the Swamp Ash one, when I do the same thing, it doesn't do that, but I do get a nice thing with the pick attack or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And so you have to kind of be able to play the instrument in order to figure out, right? And so a good experiment needs to define its deltas, but you also have to, like I said, exacerbate the deltas. You have to create an experiment that shows a difference. So I'll tell you why the differences are now becoming minimized. As we play into more into modeling gear, into headphones, and there is no sound in the air at the time you're playing the instrument. There's now, what you've done is you've taken away the sound pressure level, the SPL. So another key area where the wood of a guitar makes a big difference is when there is SPL, when an amplifier is giving that signal back to the guitar sure. in the form of pressure. 
So if this body resonates more in the mid-range or it resonates more in the treble or it starts to want to squeal up in the high frequencies, not the pickups, but I mean the string is going to you know, get into its natural feedback okay. in the higher frequencies than the lower frequencies, then it's even big. You know, I can give you a difference that's even bigger. And so you take a guy like Angus Young. He had two guitars. They were different from one another. It was our job to make them sound the same as one another. Okay. And they're... The wood and the way it reacted was what was different, and we had to overcome that with pickups and bridges and you know all, all kinds of stuff. Well, he's at deafening levels. He's in front of an amplifier that is screaming back at the instrument, and if everything isn't locked down on that instrument, even the little spring on the humbucker is going to make a squealing sound. Sure, sure. So, so there's, there's so many more things that have to come into play, but it's the volume and the SPL that, like I said, exacerbates those deltas. So when you have someone doing the snake oil selling, like Remco was referring to, like, oh, tone wood, tone wood, you have to have tone wood. Yep. The bottom line is all of us luthiers, we choose the pieces of wood we're going to work with. I wouldn't say that mahogany in and of itself as a category is a tone wood because I'm going through 10 20 mahogany boards to find one that I like that I want to use for my task. Exactly. That's not the same board that I use for the neck. Sure, you know, the sure. mahogany that I choose for a neck is different than the mahogany that I choose for a body. Okay. If you're in a large factory and they order a truckload of mahogany, dump, you know, unload pallets of mahogany, and they're all squared off into rectangles and they're all turned into body blanks, well, now you just have sort of this mishmash, and that's where you can go into a guitar store that has four of the same kinds of uh, Les Pauls, and you pick one up, and it's magical, and the other three, they don't speak to you at all. And that is really true. That is really true. I find um, years ago I was playing for an artist, and we're doing a lot of TV, got to go to the wholesaler's factory, and a whole bunch of acoustic guitars, exactly the same model, and I just went up to them all and just gave them the old jing, jing, jing. That one, that just sang. And um, yeah, very much so with acoustics. And Frank, you say that you work with acoustic guitars too, so I'm sure you're going to really have, have yeah. experienced that before. Yeah, and there's a thousand other variables that could contribute to why that one guitar was magical and the other ones were not. You sure, know, anything, sure. brace and thickness and this, and somebody over-sanded this or over-carved this or whatever. Yep. You know, so you wouldn't just say it was the spruce tree that was the responsible, but... Um, but you're correct. You know, I mean, we've all done it. We've all played these guitars where we go, man, I, this, this one doesn't do anything for sure, me. Sure. And so if that's really the case, what are you going to say? Well, it was just the pickups because pickups here magnetically and the guitar wood can, doesn't mean anything. Yep. If the wood didn't mean anything, you could make a guitar out of rubber and it would sound the same. Well, it won't. It'll go boom, boom, boom. Sure. So somewhere between rubber. <laughs> right. Right. So there is still a dense, it's still, it's still about density and stiffness. Um, but still within there, there's a congruency. So an Aristides or another synthetic material like a flaxwood guitar, that has a way of resonating. Okay. However, if I have tubes, if I have wood grain, basically I have a, you know, a, I have a tubular grain structure. Um, the, it, I, I'm sorry, it's just, there, it will resonate differently and it'll resonate at different frequencies and it'll have different comb filtering effects. So that, and that's not a slag on, uh, 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 on anything by somebody like Aristides or even Steinberger with the graphite. That's not a negative to that because that develops is a consistency and it's something that's, you know, repeatable. So I still applaud that as well. But if I wanted to make a guitar, if I wanted to make a vintage Strat sounding guitar, I simply won't choose um, Arium, you know, to do so. Doesn't mean their Strat with three single coils doesn't sound amazing. Yep. It's just that we now are accustomed to these sounds 
that are from, you know, 1957, 1963, 1952, you know, we become accustomed to those things. And so it can be difficult to synthesize those sounds out of, out of a different uh, recipe. Sure. Yeah. Now, speaking of vintage yeah. guitars, I had a, a 1952 <laughs> Telecaster here recently. Mm. Um, and uh, if anybody hasn't seen my interview with studio legend uh, Louis Shelton, I sprung that on him because he said his first guitar was a, a 52 Tele. The first thing anybody notices about that guitar is how light it is. It is just mm. incredibly light. I'm not sure if the ash has um, dried out over the years. Uh, yeah, but it has light. Yeah, so it could what be happens in there with resonance is, is is the cell structure of the timber. Yeah, you know, cell. You, know, you got like a little hexagon. You got the cell walls there, and it's filled up with resin. Yep. And over time, the resin starts to dry out, and because you play it, the resin starts to crumble, and you get like uh, exaggerated, like a honeycomb. Okay. That's the timber. Yep. And that gives that light feeling, the resonance, the feel of, of that guitar. Okay. That's only because the guitar has been played for so long that you get that resonance in there. Sure. When I was in Amsterdam, for example, and I was working for Denny, there was this scientist there, and I'm not sure if the whole science works out, is that on the violin, it's a non-fretted instrument, so you got the slide to the note. Okay. To get that note there. Yep. And he said, if there's a violin there, you could have a dead spot. Okay on the neck and he said that he could bring that dead spot to life again by just saying that was a certain note he would impregnate that note for a couple of hours into that specific part of the wood okay and the note will be back there again now i've never mm. seen it happening interesting. interesting but if you look at it it's gonna go like well you know maybe that wood wasn't really dried out or whatever it's get really weird then but you know, Frank had a problem as well in his workshop where you get a guitar coming in there and you do a setup on it and it's just something is not right. And you kind of go like, well, what is it? You know, I've done a setup correct, the strings are right, the, 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 the height adjustment, everything is right and it still is that that that, that spot there. Yeah, there's and so many variables, isn't there? Play, and, yeah. And, yeah, Frank body mentioned figure, that before. You know, um, thicker people, the body will resonate different to it. They're skinny people. Yeah, because the vibration of the whole strings will go through the body, back through our body, back into the guitar body, back into the strings picked up by the guitar pickup. You know, so it's so many variables going on there with just not the wood and the strings and the pickups. You know? Do you guys think that the actual player affects the way the string vibrates? Because when you say that, I've been oh, wearing yes. I've been wearing earplugs for a long time. Um, since a teenager, my ears still ring like buggery. I did a lot of damage in my teenage years. Um, but when I'm wearing earplugs, when I change my pickup selector, I could be like playing a really loud gig. I hear that clear as day. I hear that of my pickup selector through the bones in, in my body, the, the conductivity. Yeah. So oh, yeah. do you think different players' makeup, they talk about you know, tones, tones in the fingers. Do you think different people yeah, have does. a different makeup which affects the way the string vibrates. Absolutely. Or am I saying my ass right here? Water, yeah. you know? So if, if you are a big fat guy, it will sound differently than a very skinny guy because you got more body mass. You know, you're fat, you got more water in your body. It doesn't vibrate. It, 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 it all mixes up with the vibration of the guitar. It's like if you hold the guitar to your body, 
you can feel the vibration. If you got a, uh, like in Australia, beautiful walls, you know, all the uh, um, fibro walls, if you put your guitar up to the wall and you strum a string, it, it works like an amplifier. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I, I um, see that wall as your human body where you actually yeah. put that vibration back into the guitar body yep. picked up by the strings because it's, it's, it's a circular move or a wavular move where the tongue gets picked up. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And again, a lot of that's still rooted. A lot of that is exacerbated by sound pressure level, right? So if you have an amplifier yeah. on and that's coming back at you, but um, if you've ever seen like Fathead or whatever these things, you know, you you screw a little brass thing under the headstock and it's going to change all this stuff and it's going to change the resonance. It might get rid of a dead spot or something like that. I'm not telling you this because I'm a fan of that product, but I'm telling you that the, that's just a grip. That's just a density and a grip on the on, a, on the edge of the neck. Um, and so how you're holding, you know, everyone has their sound, you know, that's, and, and that, that is, that is part of it. Part of it is the way you actually make the string vibrate. So the pick, the fingers, whatever, what's, you know, with the flesh on the other end, Absolutely. but Remco's not, Remco's not bra uh, wrong uh, this time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he's a, uh, yeah, how you're holding, you know what I mean? I can make it, I can. I can make a note last longer if I if I grip the guitar a certain way. Sure. You know, I can kind of get it into a little bit more infinite sustain. Yep. Um, if I'm if I'm controlling the neck and not letting some of that vibrational energy get lost into the neck. Yep. It's just. You know. I've actually seen. Uh, uh, I've got friends of mine. I've got a friend who's a bass player, um, and he also does solo acoustic guitar gigs where he sings. And I can remember him one time saying, man, my guitar's just not in tune. And I'd tune it up and I'd play it. And I'd go, well, it's in tune for me. Yes, it is. Back to him. And yeah. he'd play a, an yeah. open G chord and it'd be out of tune. Yeah. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. dude, I think you're just gripping it too hard. Uh, right. And I have, noticed, I have noticed that when I play, because of the whole equal temperament, uh, uh, equal, uh, yeah, the spacing of uh, the 12 frets on a guitar, that I will actually bend certain intervals slightly as I play. To get that Absolutely. distortion from going blah, 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 to a nice smooth thing, and that's something yes. I subconsciously do to compensate, yes. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, is uh, it the same as what we talked about the other day? When you tune a guitar, you use your tuner. Yep. And then still, you're gonna go for each string, gonna go like a little bit less, a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. Just to get that distortion in, in your ear, it's just it's just that it just fits in better. Yeah. You know, it's like you got your tuners. There's this big debate going on there, you know, is it be 440 or uh, 435 hertz you got to tune to? And yeah, 432 is like the, you know, supposed to be magical. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know, I've never tried it, but I think yeah. it's the same, you know, if you use your, I, I've got these stroke tuners. I use the Peterson stroke tuner or the turbo tuner and you use your boss tuner. If I tune my guitar in my turbo tuner up to you know, what they say is perfect, and then I go back to a boss tuner, it's completely off the scale. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Both up to 440, and so yeah, it's, 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 it's a nuance that you try to create. Yeah, sure, you sure. Know? And it's funny, I just did a session with uh, uh, Deftones, I can say the band name. Cool, I guess. cool. And, um, and they, um, all the guitars had to be tuned, obviously, to the same Peterson. But beyond that, the one guy squeezes a little harder. And so I was in there, you know, and I've got, you know, pretty good pitch. And so, so I was, I was tuning the guitar to the player and I was tuning the guitar to the track. Okay. And so they would go in and they would play the track. And then again, the producer, 
okay, great. You know, like once I would tune the guitar and give it to them, you know, they may not have known that I just gave it a little, you know, a little bump here and there, but I made it so that it was in tune uh, when they played the song, you know, okay. otherwise if he squeezes too hard, he's pulling it sharp. And in addition, then there would be sometimes when I'd say to the, to the guy, you know, I'd say, okay, this part, you know, this part's great. When you go up high to this part, just remember no death grip. You know, just sure. when you get up to this one, to this chord, just, you know, just just play it cool right there. And you go back to, you know, your normal grip everywhere else. And so then all of a sudden, you know, because they were they were uh, sometimes four tracks per guitar, a lot yeah, of double okay. tracks and yep. sometimes quads yep. and not always just splitting those left and right. And so they had to, you know, they had to line up reasonably in tune and. You know, so like I said, sometimes you're tuning for the guitar because yep. it's out of intonation or some weirdness or the nuts a little high. So, you know, every time you make a chord, you're squeezing the strings a little bit too hard. Uh, but sometimes you have to tune for the player. Just sure, sure. Uh, you know, a funny thing that just brought to me uh, to, to mind was I was talking to um, the drummer from a, a New Zealand band called uh, She Hard. They're kick-ass band um and one of their songs the general electric is just uh, they're tuned down but they're doing this big e to g chord i remember tom their drummer uh telling me one time that they actually punched in the different chords so they tuned the guitar perfectly for the e chord and did the dum dum and then retuned the guitar so it was perfect for the g and then and then together you just get that wall of sound uh, yeah. So yeah, I guess there's there's different tricks, isn't there, to, to get around those kinds of things? Yeah, and so it, and it's not perfect, right? That's why there are such things as true temperament tuning, uh, or excuse me, frets, right? The true temperament frets. Yep. Um, use tempered tuning, so we know that it's an imperfect system. We kind of fudge a little bit here and there. That's how a piano is tuned. Yep. Um, it's kind of pushed a little bit, and um, so we do that stuff. I'm not saying you know true temperament frets are okay. Sometimes then technically, mathematically, it would have to be out of tune in other keys or something yeah so because you're going to give here and then you're going to take you know something else suffers but they're going for optimal tuning you know in most cases it's going to sound the most in tune um the evertune bridge accomplishes it a different way which is to say when i squeeze a note down i'm going to sympathetically release some tension on the other side of the string so that i'm always maintaining a certain tension that does make chords a little bit more in tune because if you had that bass player who was, you know, gripping, you know, over gripping the fingerboard to make a chord, the bridge would let out a little bit, you know, sure, so he sure. would stay more in tune on that, on that instrument. Okay. I'm not saying those are great solutions, good, poor, whatever. They each have their own benefits. They each have their own detractions, but uh, there's ways to address it. So there's always going to be something. Okay. Uh, with the advent of auto-tune, a lot of the pop music that we listen to today is extremely auto-tuned and everything in it is auto-tune right personally i'm not a fan i would rather hear everything get you know coming in and out you know of the uh, uh, of tune and, and obviously to give credit to the deftones nothing like that was done yeah they all they those guys all go in and they just play and they play who they are and they're purposely out of tune sometimes sure i even told the, uh chino you know he's talking about you know tension or something and i said um I said, you know, a, a scratch only feels good when there was an itch. 
Yep. And so, you know, if you create, create tension and then you resolve the tension, um, that's something that, you know, Carlos Santana, he'll underbend a note and somebody goes like, oh, what, he didn't finish the bend? No, he's making you feel something. Absolutely. And then he's going to come up and hit it the next Absolutely. time. Absolutely. He's going to come over, you know, he's going to come up to the note or he's going to go yep. over the note. Yep. You think he doesn't know when to stop his finger from bending? These yep. are things that are being done on purpose to elicit emotions. Um you know, the new singer of Journey sounds amazing, yep. but microtonal, yeah, he's phenomenal. Yep. But I, can t- I can tell the difference between him and Steve Perry, yep. and Steve Perry, you know, the way he slid up to a note, these things are so small, and yet they are so connected to our DNA that they, they like I said, they elicit emotional responses. Yep. So when it comes to the tuning, like I said, we're all playing around. So this auto-tune stuff, it's gotten people, you know, some, some people are getting raised to have the appetite for perfection, for music that doesn't beat against itself, sure. for something that doesn't sound out of tune. Usually, we go through a decade in you know in decade brackets, and we're gonna now you know the pendulum's gonna swing the other way. So maybe a Greta Van Fleet goes in and just bangs away on their guitars like Led Zeppelin used to, and some people are gonna like that now again. You yep. know. Yeah. So Frank, we'll see. You, you mentioned uh, <laughs> doing some tech work with the Deftones. Who else have you done that kind of work for, mate? It wasn't much, you know. The Deftones things was like uh, because a friend of mine was d- found himself double booked. So I'm gonna go do some uh, Billy Idol in a few days. Oh, cool. Just work, you know, do Steve Stevens. Yeah. It's literally because my friend is, you know, found himself double booked. He's the tech for both of them. Sure. And uh, so I'm helping him out, and you know, it's you know better me than uh, and someone who's inexperienced or. Or someone who's gonna, you know, go and try to steal his job or something like that. You know, yeah, yeah. he knows he can trust me. You know, with a situation like that. So, sure, sure. Uh, so I do that. But I've ended up working and done work on a lot of people's instruments just because of, you know, Fishman or Seymour Duncan or whatever. Yep. Um, you know, spent some time at Inge Momstein's house and cool. I don't know, cool. Slash or Slash's studio doing yep. his pickup. You know, when yep. I was with Seymour Duncan. So I've I've come across a, a lot of these guys over nice. the years. I don't nice. know, maybe I should. Maybe I should write it down in a notepad someday. Yeah. Oh, your memoirs one day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody wants to read it. No, 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 no. You yeah, barely so. want to hear what I have to say about the uh, tone woods, you know. Yeah, yeah I've, exactly. actually, I've got some questions in the um, in the chat room. Um, Wonderful. From my friend, cool. Big Fella Link. Uh, and he is asking about um, finishes on guitars. Um, any mm. opinions on oil versus poly finishes? Any opinions? I'm working on a project guitar and have removed the poly finish and I'm oiling it with true oil for the new finish. It has a beautiful quilted maple um, that was lost. Quilted maple that was lost. Who knows lost what I'm paint. on about? And I did this guitar a few years ago. Okay, so yeah. I think he's talking about his uh, Godin, which we stripped the paint off and um, okay. we oiled. So, yeah, do you have any opinions on... Um, yeah, true, true Oil is a good finish. Um, yep. He'll like it. It's a polymerized, you know, it's like a it's like oil mixed with a little bit of finish, right? Yep. So a little bit of, uh, of a protective coating. And so it dries differently than like just rubbing linseed oil or tongue oil in the guitar. Um, thicker... Harder finishes versus thinner finishes uh, is similar to what Remco was talking about earlier. How how much are you going to grip that guitar? 
you know, if I'm going to, you know, am I, am, I, am I holding that guitar and kind of stopping it from vibrating or am I letting it vibrate? People will use the term breathe. It's kind of a silly term. No, the finish doesn't let the wood breathe or this or that. Breathe. It's not. That's why you put it, the finish on so it stops breathing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and plus, it's dead. So guess what? It's not breathing. Yeah, it doesn't breathe anymore. So, yeah. You know, but what it does, you know, so it's not about the exchange of oxygen or air molecules to and from. Okay. Uh, it can, that can affect some of the drying properties that we're talking about with that 1952 Telecaster. Yep. So it's plausible that the drying characteristics of that guitar would have been different if it was caked in an eighth of an inch or whatever, you know, uh, metric it's version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sure, but it was sure. if it was encased in a, in a big, you know, big two-part, you know, catalyzed plastic. Um, I use a lot of poly um, on my guitars, uh, but I I use it very thin, right? Sure. So I have developed several finishing methods depending on the wood and what kind of techniques we're looking to get out of the instrument. But I've developed some techniques where I can lay this stuff on pretty thin and. People like nitrocellulose lacquer, well, on an acoustic guitar, for example, on spruce, if you keep spraying nitrocellulose lacquer, every time you spray it, it softens the coat underneath and it sinks down into the pores of that wood. So technically, a nitrocellulose lacquer finish on the spruce acoustic guitar top, while it may look thin from the top, has actually penetrated into the spruce fibers quite a bit. So for me on my acoustic guitars, I have a layering process. So I'm I'm you know I'm 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 putting that wash coat on to get the bond and to condition the surface. But then after that, basically what I'm interested in doing is creating a nice shell, but a very thin one, and then one that isn't going down below in the subsurface. Okay. So the wood now moving the way the wood would like to move, awesome. and it sounds you know, sounds more like a guitar that has less paint on it yep. than an ultracellulose cool. guitar, right. which might, like I said, look really thin and you're like, oh, you even wore some of it out around the sound hole. Yep. And, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, but it's still, you know, it's still soaked into those fibers. So nice. there are some, there is some misinformation out there okay. about that. But generally speaking, yes, a really thick plasticky coating on guitar is going to choke it off, and a thinner finish or down to no finish or an oil finish is going to let it vibrate a little bit more. Sure. Great. I hope that answers your question there, Link. Um, Now, I wanted to ask you guys about um, CNC machines and how that's changed the way you guys work. (laughs) <laughs> is that, okay. have you guys got anything let's to, get this myth out straight away a yeah. cnc machine does not build you a guitar sure yeah. sure so i'm gonna you let know, you guys answer that i'm gonna just quickly part. i'm gonna just gonna take a little pee break i'm gonna be back in just a second i drank way oh, too much water gonna I'll, you guys yeah. talk about that yeah. and i'll be back in just yeah. one sec you could have said you're getting the water but that's fine with me um yeah. so yeah room goes right you know I'm cnc getting the water. is right. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Get yeah, yourself some drink. You've sounded hoarse when you were talking a little bit earlier. So, um, yeah, the CNC machine, it's um, they can be abused, of course. They can be relied upon. In fact, I was just talking to someone earlier today, Hugh, um, who is using our hardware, Remco. He's the one that's using our hardware on a guitar he's making for Dweezil, Zappa, um, that has uh, it's, combines fretless and fretted. Yes, he's using the individual string bridge. And he was talking to me about a certain guitar maker, factory more style guitar maker, who said he wanted to CNC everything. He said if there was a screw hole, he wanted the screw hole to be put into the CNC. He said, if I'm going to use the CNC, I want to use it for everything. I barely even want to touch that guitar once it comes off the machine. If that's your philosophy, you're going to get a certain kind of product. I mean, that's just the way it is. You're, you're, you know, you're, you aren't putting in that extra time. It doesn't make the guitar bad. 
it no, just but, you know you, 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 you can look at little 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 mistakes that the machine makes you know even that you know if if if, if you've got a, a a servicing program say for um a mahogany body and you got a service program for a piece of ash the results will be differently because there are two Absolutely. different densities of the wood um, your, your your routing mill will react differently to it. The sharpness of your tool depends on it. So you can't just gonna go like, all right, I've got this piece of maple there, and I'm gonna get my neck profiling uh, tool on it and, and put it in the machine, and every neck will be the same. Yeah. No, so my philosophy out of the CNC is to have the machine do all the stuff that it's good at. Okay. And then you have someone do the things that by hand that are better off being performed by hand. And that's just the way. That's just the way I, I use it. Um, I have a you know a little bit. It's an older machine, but it's a little more complicated, I think, than the one that Remco's got. I have a few more features and bells and whistles that I can manipulate. Most of the time, when I'm running the CNC, I'm actually playing it like an instrument. Like I'm working the feeds and speeds, the RPM, but most you know most mostly the feeds at, at that point. Um, and I'm sort of manipulating it, in not just for the wood type. But also, as I see it coming up on some end grain or, you know, just certain parts of the wood. Slow it down a little bit. Yep. Exactly. It's just like a good mix engineer is going to be playing those faders during the live gig, you know, or the session. They're yeah. going to actually be moving things up and down with the music. That's kind of how I'll do it, you know, when it comes to the CNC. And I'll adjust the feed, you know, the RPMs. You can hear if a bit is starting to chatter. Sometimes it's starting to chatter because it's coming up on a section of that wood that's a little bit more dense than the other section. Okay. And so again, you can again, you tune it, you know, you you can you can fudge the RPMs up or down just a little bit until that goes away because it has to do with how fast the machine's moving against the RPMs. And so if you have an RPM that's going with a feed rate. Very slow. You burn it. Yeah, yeah. You slow down too far. Oh, I had the little so. little fires in the workshop when I started to learn about the CNC and how to program it. It's um, yeah. The first time I put a piece of timber on there, I was like, all right, let's go. Press start, and it went meep, bam. <laughs> so it went too fast. <laughs> too well, luckily, I haven't let you run my machine, so that's good. Oh, that's good. So uh, <laughs> I learned from there. And then I was like, okay, I gotta slow it down. So I slow it down at the high RPM with it, slow down and yeah. put it on there. And it was like rubbing yeah. sticks and creating, you know, yeah. fire. Yeah. yeah. So, it was first, fire. yeah. so it's like, all right, so I gotta speed this up a little bit. And that's yeah. how you learn with that. And even then, yeah. you know, I've got my machine on for a couple of years. It's still like every time you use it, it's like, all right, pay attention. What's happening here? Yeah. What the CNC, what the CNC machine does for builders, it get, it gives you abilities that you can't do without the machine. For instance, a fan fretting, right. you can cut fan frets, you know, easier. It's not perfect because hey, you're starting with this tool. You, you're working with a very fine end mill, which is 0.5 mil, so half a mil thick. So you got to go very slowly. It breaks halfway through. You're gonna go, oh, gotta go back again. You know, so it's not speed. Um, yeah. Accuracy is one of the things you can have with a CNC machine. Yeah. Uh, Finer inlay, you know, crazy inlay. Yeah. You can do it with a CNC machine, which you can't do. Well, you can, but you got to spend hours with a little saw cutting it all out with a CNC machine. You can just do that. Um, yeah, and that's a and it's a beautiful art, and I appreciate when someone does inlay that way. I, I just I can't I, I I can't spend the time. You know, I I. I 
I have to draw it in the machine, you know, in the in the in CAD, and and run it on the machine. And so, and the other thing is tool paths. There are very many people out there that I've seen programming CNCs. In fact, I've been a consultant for a couple of different guitar companies where I've gone in and redone some of their um, tool paths, you know, some of their programming. And I, you know, I I watch people. You know, there's there's a, it's almost like if you had a prefab mix in Pro Tools. There are pre-designated tool paths where you say, look, I want you to shape this Les Paul top, and the thing goes great. I'm going to do it into straight lines. Well, how does that work with quilted maple? You know, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Do I want the horizontal lines? Do I want vertical lines? Um, you know, do I want a star-shaped pattern? Do I want to come around, you know, this way and then go back around again? And all that has to do with the kind of wood. So sometimes I'll have a different tool path for a species of wood. Yeah. Okay. And I'll and I'll have a different step over. You know, that I I I I make I make larger step overs for certain kinds of wood and I, and smaller step overs for other kinds of wood. Um, I recently machined some mounting rings, uh, wooden mounting rings, you know, for humbuckers. The tool path on that was, I was down to like 10 or 20 thousandths of an inch. Sorry, whatever the mills that is. Um, or millimeters. <laughs> it's, it's not, not a lot, yeah. Um, well, I think you guys, you know, you still refer to um, – Guitar strings, right, as tens, right? So we're speaking the same language in that regard. Uh, yeah, a ten, you know, yeah. a ten, and a yeah, yeah. A, a, you know, twenty. Um, and so that's the degree that I went over. And when that wooden mounting ring came off the machine, it was almost completely finished. I didn't even have to touch it. For me to change that and make bigger step overs, so I could just go faster and be done with the piece. I would have spent all this time working on it later, you know, sanding it and getting it to look right. And then even it still wouldn't have because it would have been like hand, you know, hand sanded. So there's so much that goes into it. There's a CNC isn't just, you know what I mean? It's like saying, how do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel about, how do you feel about beef? Well, what do you mean? Do I, how do I feel about cheeseburgers or New York strip steaks or Taco Bell, you know, cheap, you know, $1 taco. Yep. Yeah. well, it's also, you know, when you, when you design something like like this, you know, you see it in 3D. Our eyes do not see in 3D. They see in more dimensions. Yeah? It's the same when you build a guitar body. You design something in 3D and you think, oh, this is a nice curve, you know, nice body contour. And then you get it out of the machine. It's like, oh, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah, so then you still got to go there with your power tools, with your orbital sander, or with your hand sander, just to get that bevel in there, that, that, that contour or whatever in there, which you can't draw because you can't feel it. Yeah, Up that's until true. So you got to get the tools that I can go like, I draw this and I've got this machine in front of me where it actually pumps out of some kind of material. I can go to go like, oh, this is how it feels like. And, you know, yeah. which yeah, does not exist. Yeah. In, yeah. in most cases, like that hollow body behind me, this uh, arch top, uh, I hand carved the original one, made it, you know, from scratch, used chainsaw blades, yeah. Yeah. and then I had that scan, 3D scan, to produce the file. So, but now even if I draw something, I'm almost always carving. I'm doing something physical first, and then I that helps me inform, you know, me on how to draw it in CAD. Um, you, I feel like you can tell. I mean, there are some guys that are very good at it, but I feel like you can tell when somebody drew a guitar in CAD sure. and then cut it. Yeah. And, you know, so, so then in other words, the entire guitar design was done virtually, 
and then they put it on the machine, got it out. Um, there's just, I don't know, sometimes it can lack or, or an organic nature to it. It's just, you know, the curves don't, they just don't flow right. When it's I like cooking, carving, it's cooking. It is. It's cooking. Picture this. Yeah, picture you know. this. Picture sold, yeah. and it's like you've got this guy, this this Argentinian uh, chef. I know you you've probably seen it on YouTube who uh, cuts a piece of meat open, and it's like he's pure, he's, he's having sex on the, oh, yeah. on a piece of table. With yeah. Salt, yeah, and it's he's he's making love to the meat, and <laughs> you know that that's what it is. You know, it's like any luthier who got a passion to build guitars and 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 and. You know, puts in there, puts all the soul in there. Does not only use a CNC. You know, you use it as a tool, and then it's like you know, this and that sanding here, and uh, bevel this a little bit more. You know, a neck, even if it comes from a factory, it's not straight away CNC. Bump, there you go. That's the neck. They still got people. Oh that yeah, sand in, in the it, factories. And yeah, there was more. Like, uh, if you got yeah. a good factory, you know, it's still yeah. like the feel. Yeah, a little bit more here, a little bit more yeah. there, and it goes like yeah. And now the neck is good. Yeah, it's a tool, you know, uh, and I love it. Don't get me wrong, I love it. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, now, Frank, the Fishman Fluence pickups, we haven't talked about those. You mentioned that fairly mm. fairly uh, early on, and that's that's your baby, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's Fishman's baby. Um, they have an amazing R&D team there. Um, it is uh, easily one of the best best engineering and R&D groups that I've come across, you know, in this field, in the music industry. Okay. Um, so when I went there, it was like, ah, oh, what a breath of fresh air. You know, these guys are not afraid to get their hands dirty. They're not afraid to, of technology. They're not afraid of something that's cutting edge. And so the, the origin story is that there was an aerospace company that designed these coils. These are the kinds of coils that would be used in satellites or used for microwave technology, antenna, things like that, you know. And it's uh, we ended up with a 48-layer board, but it's basically wafer-thin, you know, like cellophane-layer thin layers of PCB, laminated PCB material, each with a precision coil on it, which means that you now have a coil that's, again, these are more ambiguous terms, but it's listening to the strings in a linear fashion. Okay. Um, it has very, it has substantially less distributed capacitance. The resonant peak of one of those coils is up, you know, 40, 80 hertz, 80 kilohertz, excuse me, wow. well beyond human hearing. Yeah. So this is the cleanest and clearest and best picture we've ever taken of the string. These coils are magic. This is where the magic lies. The aerospace company brought me that technology even, you know, when I was uh, still with Duncan. You know, okay. I said, what do you, what do you think, you know? Yep. And they brought me, and they don't even, if Thomas Lingle was watching this, he doesn't even have a problem with me saying, they brought me horrible pickups. Yeah. Um, and said, you know, what, what What? about this? They had some samarium cobalt magnets on the top. The return path is very short. Um, they just had, it was, they knew it wasn't a sound, you know, the sound that you'd want to listen to, but they said, we think someone can, like you, can do something with this. And the truth was, absolutely, oh, I could, you know. And so... At the time, I, um, you know, Duncan passed on the technology. I was exiting Duncan anyways. I started Falmo Guitars. I brought the technology to Fishman. We worked on it for a few years, and we came up with Fluence. But it's essentially a coil that is beautiful. The information is much more high definition. Um, so, I'm, you know, it's like getting more pixels, right? The iPhone retina display is clearer than the television that you watched in 1979. Sure. Um, 
So it's there's more information that I'm starting with, which means now I can create voices in a subtractive manner. I can say, all right, well, I don't want as much of this or that or whatever. And Fishman has come up with ways to even have those voicing preamps resonating with the coils. And, you know, it's a, it's a I can't leak out you know too much information, but the point is that we're not dealing with something that's synthesized. This is the sound, and it's organic, and it's all analog, and it's really making the sound. Uh, that you're hearing um, in a faster way, in a more high-definition way. And these are ways that we sort of universally consider better. Okay. And by that, by that, I mean someone could tell you this new digital modeling amp is better than your that lousy old tube amplifier that you have from the old days. But you and I play it, and we say, no, it's not better because I'm after – the organicness i'm after the connection between my guitar and valve one you know where i can feel all of these things that are disconnected doesn't make the modeling stuff bad i just mean that the term better in that case would be subjective when i say that the fluids coil and the way we have the voicing preamps and everything the characteristics that are better are that it's faster the attack is more immediate um and, uh, and the, the signal is more phase congruent, it's more phase aligned, okay. um, which means that high and low and mid frequencies are hitting that gain stage uh, at the same time, um, rather than being having a time smear, like uh, we call it like a just phase smearing. Yep. Uh, some of that can actually improve that beating, that vibrating that you were talking about when you have a string that's a little bit out of tune. Yep. Uh, so it actually, be, because when those harmonic multiples start to develop and especially under distortion if they're out of alignment that's what creates that smearing where you can't really tell all the notes in the chord you hear a chord but you don't really hear all the notes there's a lot of guys that'll play more of the modern players they'll hit low notes and then let really high notes ring out sure those two things don't argue with each other in the game chain in that you know in that modded Marshall tube amplifier, they don't start to oscillate and 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 ang- and, uh, and argue with one another. So the technology is just amazing. I can make it sound like anything I want. And like I said, I don't mean that in a modeling way. I mean I can create anything. And so if there's a, you know, the the voice two of a classic, I had a, for that I had a vintage 1970s double cream butyrate bobbin JB that Seymour wound himself, the JB model. Yep. This pickup was magic. This pickup is amazing. And I said, we're not done until we beat this one. Until we, you know, and you take that out, you put in a new JB, and you're like, oh, well, it's not, you know, it's not the same. Sure. It's not, it does not sound the same. Yeah. And there's a thousand things you can chalk that up to. It's a different discussion for a different time. But the point is, it's not the same. And we nailed it. You know, I mean, we, we have a pickup that does that, gets that voice, but gets it also with the immediacy and the face congruency of, of fluence. I mean, I, I can't, I, I can't get it any other way. Okay. You, know, you could park me in a room. I said, I've said you could put me in a room with a million dollar budget, and tell me, you know, I have a year. I can't sit and wind a coil that I will appreciate more than you know fluids. Now that's not to say that there's no use for old pickups. Of course there is. I have what 40, 50 guitars. More, more of them don't have fluids than do have fluids. So I have all the stuff. There's reasons for all this stuff to exist, but this technology can't be ignored, and it's it's taking off. Every, wow. I mean, if artists switching, it sounds like yeah, a beautiful thing. Really also, Rick, when I was at NAMM this year, um, Frank took me to uh, the Fishman booth, and we we're sitting down there with uh, Ken Susie, 
mm-hmm. in a little room there, and it was the first time I actually heard the Fishman pickups. And Ken was playing, and then Frank picked up his bass guitar. Mm. Just the difference in that, the the brightness, the the, the tonal character what you get out of a bass, it's like unbelievable. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's yeah. it's the best pickups. And then uh, Larry Fishman asked me, "So Remco, what do you think of the Fishman?" He said, "Well, I haven't tested them yet." So he gave me a set, and I put them in my guitar, which I first had um, some uh, laser lumitones in. Mm. And it's like, and they're already like good pickups, but it's like chalk and cheese. It's such a big difference in 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 voicing, in character of tone, and the attack. You know, if you play really hard, you hear it. If you play really gently, mm. you hear it. Now, and I'm the loudest guitar player ever. You know. I See, I told honest. you we agree on things sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm totally with you, but but I admit to it, you know. No. So <laughs> no, he's good. He's humble. You know, so um, but no, he's right. When you play soft, so that's the other thing. Um, when you play soft and you're not disturbing the magnetic field as much, uh, you know, a typical magnetic pickup, wire-wound pickup, it's again that, that signal starts to degrade. It starts to sound differently when you play soft. So it's not like there's a compressor on with Fluence. It's just that when I play soft. Then all of a sudden, it's like I, I ran up and I listened more closely, you know, to what the string was doing. I'm getting more information. The coils are closer to the strings yeah. because it's not a big, thick coil. But that's the kind of stuff that happens when you bring a coil way down and then way back up again and way down and way back up again. There's distributed capacitance contained within that coil, and there's a lot of information within that flux, you know, magnetic field. There's a lot of information that is sort of comb filtered and sort of not, it's non-phase congruent, you know, with the other information that's coming right up near the string. I'm really going to uh, have to try one of these. So I, that and the yeah. browse as well was something I've always wanted to try. So there's <laughs> two of your, um, two things with your brains behind it that I really need to get my hands on and take for a bit of a spin. Well, you know, have, have that combination and with, say, instance, our tremolo, yes. you know, it's it's then you know uh, pushing the boundaries of design yeah. or engineering. Yep. You know we all know the the uh, the Floyd Rose tremolo, hate it or like it. You know everybody's got this hate like thing yeah. with Floyd Rose. You know um, I like it when you play it. I hate it to set it up. You know, That's and right. I'm not saying that without tremolo we fix that problem because it's still I hate to set this one up. <laughs> <laughs> Because you got to find the right balance of string pull and spring tension to get this thing straight. Yep. Nah, it's nothing. Nah, nah, you do it in five minutes, uh, Frank. Yeah, that. What's five yeah. minutes in uh, a metric? What's I don't know. It's, it's, it's still <laughs> five, five, six. Is it a parsec? Is there something? Is parsecs in there? <laughs> Maybe. Um, see, what we've done with, with, with this tremolo, for example, Frank gave me a task. He said, um, I want you to design a tremolo. This is the seven-string version. Okay. I want you to design a tremolo that could fit for a six-string router into a Floyd Rose router where we can have a multi-scale setup and a headless guitar usage. Mm-hmm. And this is the first prototype that came out of it. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, which is completely out of brass, and then we got a steel plate, and from there on we kept on developing, 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 and um, yeah, now we've got this little monster here. We've got it in six, seven, and eight string because some eight string people want to have a whammy box. Oh yeah, 
And why not? You know, probably we're going to come up to a 20 string Wendy bar where we got like a big crunch <laughs> to it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, well, but this whole bridge is designed for frequency vibration. We use the brass for the, for the saddles. We use a special carbonized steel for the sustainer, or for the, for the uh, tremolo plate. For two reasons. Mm -hmm. It gives a good with the brass. And for a very sharp, long-life knife edge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's um, the main thing everyone complains about with the tremolo, is the knife edges wear out, so now it doesn't stay in tune. Sure. And so, yeah, we have this technique of hardening that's, it's, I'm sorry, but it's harder and better. Again, I'll use that term again, right? I, mean, I use that term sparingly, just so you know, right? So if I say that term, right, it's it, 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 has, it has a certain kind of meaning. So harder and better than the other tremolos that are out there. You know, it just, it is. It produces a, a, a stronger, a denser, you know, harder knife edge, you know, at that pivot point where it's going. Well, you're just holding a knife in your hand, you know, and it's, it's, it's like really sharp. <laughs> I'm opening the... The seven-string tremolo that I have sitting here. Ah, I was wondering what the, what well, the rustling yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah does it sound like I'm wrapping candy here? You know, like a hard. Are you going to start with the uh, squeezing of the the popping of the the bubbles for us? Get into that. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah. But you know, yeah, the whole reason why why I've jumped into that is, uh, you know, uh, Frank did a test, and it was just before Nam uh, this year. I shipped him the um, fixed bridge monorail single-string bridges, Monorail. which is completely designed yeah. out of brass. It has a constant um, string touch to the body. Yeah, everything is in solid contact. It's solid contact with the body, and uh, Frank had the eight-string right behind his head. I think that's the one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that one, yeah. Had some other brand uh, bridges <laughs> on it, which I don't know which one you put on there. Yeah. But changed them string by string. Yeah. It was like all, all, all spring, new spring. It just it dropped the wow. whole five. Yeah, I had, a I had a friend here at the same time. I mean, again, these are they're marketing tropes, right? If I was a marketing guy, I would say all this stuff. It just wouldn't be true, you know. But I would, but I would say oh, bigger, faster, more this, you know, whatever. Um, but we did it, you know. And I had another luthier friend here. I took each individual bridge off one at a time. I use the same string, so we're not talking about fresh strings. This is what I do. I do product development. So I know how to create tests that will exacerbate the deltas. Each, each string, loosen it, replace the bridge, put it back on. Every string had a, a noticeable improvement in tone. And as I walked across the instrument, replacing one string at a time, you know, eventually you replace four, and the other four are the other bridge. You can clearly hear the four how they sound versus the other four. You come across the whole thing, all of a sudden, you know, of course, you know, each one of them sounds different. Because you can, I mean, there are bridges that sound very, that sound good for trebles and they don't sound good for bass strings. Okay. And vice versa. Um, these are just minor things, you know, but if you're really into it and you really are trying to do the, your due diligence in R&D, um, it's important to understand that. And so, yeah, treble, bass, all the way down to an eight string, which currently that guitar has a 90 an 090, you know, on it. Um, it's uh, that those bridges, they're just an improvement because they make solid contact. It's its pretty simple physics, you know, that if I have two little Allen bolts that are just pivoting on something, you know, that's a different sound than if I have a giant block and it's resting against, you know, that surface. Uh, the transference will be different. There's, there's no, you know, 
So we designed it then for, for guitar, we've got you know, mm -hmm. bass, for example. Bass. And um, I designed a tremolo version with that, which you've seen at the Melbourne Guitar Show, uh, Rick. Yep. That, that, mm -hmm. that, that Ernie built, and uh, that was a prototype. And we always come like, you know, we, we make something, we put it to use, and then we're going to go like, hmm, we've got to change something here. Yeah, a couple tweaks. Work, a couple tweaks here or there. And with that guitar that you saw, uh, for example, at the Melbourne Guitar Show, we found out as soon as we used the uh, the tremolo arm, the string would come off the saddle. So I yeah, mean, if you have too much range, then you go, yeah. you know, if, if you're that person, if you're the guy that, you know, wants to dive it all the way down to hit the instrument, um, then, yeah. But that's more range. What's nice about this tremolo design is, it's a two-fulcrum tremolo. That already is more range and more pitch fluctuation range than you'd have on a six-group, for example. So it just depends on the player. You know, if you want to build a guitar around the notion that the tremolo is going to have, you know, this much range, that's one thing. If you want to route it and recess it into the body so it has a bunch of up and down range, then you have to take some of those things into consideration. So like the tremolo that uh, Remco's talking about, there will be some slight differences in the saddle and the brake angle and how... All those things, you know, come together. But that's where, you know, Remco said earlier in the in the program that you know two heads are are better are better than one. Sure, you know, sure. it's always nice to design stuff with, you know, yeah, it's with, feeding from each other. You know, it's like Frank yeah. comes with a crazy idea, I'm gonna go like, yeah, can we do it? Yes, yep. no, yep. try it, and that's what we with this one. I was like, okay, how are we gonna do that? You know, and yeah. I'm not going to say this is the perfect system. You know, Flood Rose came up with an idea. And it's perfect for its usage. You know, it's, it's locked the string right on the saddle, mm -hmm. right at the nut. So as long as there is no no uh, wear in the strings and, uh, mm -hmm. and the guitar is set up, that guitar cannot go out of tune. You know, if you leave it there for 10 years, it will still be in tune. Yeah, um, yeah the distance it's, it's, is held. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it's, 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 it's locked in. Yeah. Um, yeah. With ours, we still have like a little bit of a wiggle room in here where it goes over the saddle and you tune it backwards. Yeah, all the in. like all the multi-scale and headless stuff. I mean, it all it's based on that premise. You ha you know, it comes across the saddle and it goes back to the fine tuner and then the fine tuner. You know, exactly. Uh, so and that's the only way how you can do it. So it's it's got some 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 limitations in it for usage, if that makes sense. That uh, you know, I would love to have a full locking system like on the float rows but how do we tune it then yeah that right <laughs> you can't uh, do if, both if, things if, at the if, same time if i pull right. a bucket here then i have to pull the whole saddle yeah. off the bridge back yeah. which then yeah, you, now the intonation off. Off. yeah so yeah. with those things when when frank gave me that that little task that i was laying and i get my bows and my ideas when i'm in bed when i can't sleep we're going to go like oh i know do this and that a lot and then all of a sudden it's like okay this is how we got to do it because there's no other way, you know. I yeah. can't in the string because if I pull the string backwards, intonation is out of whack, or tuning intonation, everything is out of whack. Um, so I have to find a way, and that this is the way um, that um, I think we got it. And uh, I got it on a few guitars, um, stays in tune. You know, you can wear me the crap out of it, and um, yes. even me, you know, doing my Steve Vai impersonation or Eddie Van Halen, you know, it still comes back to. <laughs> Zero. 
So Remco, have you um, have you thought have you delved into any hardware for acoustic guitars? I know Frank mentioned that he also builds acoustic guitars. Is there any way that your technologies do you think could uh, translate over to acoustic, or are we talking a completely different kettle of fish there? Uh, acoustic guitars, you know, the, the idea that Frank has with his um, his, his his bridge system um, parts already made for that. There's nothing for me to to change that anymore. It's 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 near perfect. Okay. You know, um, uh, well, it's because, you know, the, um, it's, 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 it's a different system in, in, in how yeah. the tension. Well, it's, uh, you know, and works. the thing we, t we talk about the materials that are, you know, choosing materials that are appropriate for each task. So on my acoustic guitars and the hollow bodies, the part that accepts the string ball and is actually not metal at all. And that's on purpose. It's made out of a phenolic material because it has the same temperature coefficient as like the wood. And so I can't put a piece of aluminum in there. One, because I actually don't want the sound of that. I don't want the sound of the strings ball end resting in something that is metallic. I'd rather have it resting in something that was more organic, even though phenolic is mostly, you know, it's resin, but, um, but I can't. I also don't want something sweating inside there when you go in from something cold, you know, cold to hot. And so the phenolic goes in there, and it's 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 copacetic, right? It's friendly with the piece of mahogany or spruce or whatever else that I have inside there that's functioning. And I even have other reinforcements um, that aren't graphite; they're vulcanized fiber, which happens to be another paper-based, you know, uh, product. Which is what they used to make old bobbins from. Yeah, all those like single coil strap pickups and single coil pickups, strap that's, pickups, yeah. that's vulcanized fiber. Okay. Um, so so I use a much you know thinner piece that's just a laminate over the top of, uh, yeah. of my secret my secret weapon, you know, that's inside <laughs> the guitar. But um yeah. but yeah, so there's not there's not really anything where I could say, all right, now that I've got, you know, a, a metals guy, you know, now that I have somebody who can do this kind of awesome, you know, uh, stuff. Um, you know, what would I do? You know, can I leverage it? You know, over on the acoustic side, not necessarily. Uh, but doesn't mean never. Doesn't mean obviously. maybe one day we come up yeah. and go like, hey, I want this, and I gotta go like, ah, oh, yeah. yeah, let's go for it. But you know, I've got so many designs already sitting and waiting, yeah, um, to come out, and uh, it just it's all comes down to you know the yeah. dollars and uh, and getting the sales happening here. You know, there's there's um, stuff for telecasts that. Um, I've been working on and I'm waiting for the prototypes and I'm waiting for it for a long time. But, you know, the company that we work with in China is a fantastic uh, company. You know, I can't um, say nothing bad about the guy. I love the guy as my own brother. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, yeah, it's so when funny when you talk about like manufacturing, it's like there's, there's, you know, where is it made? You know, it's made in Indonesia or China or this or that or the other thing. In China, I've been doing this for a long time. China doesn't, in and of itself, doesn't mean anything. You know, this guy that we, our friend that we work with, there's making parts that go into Formula One racers. He's making things that, you know, for the medical, in medical part. Exactly. Um, your iPhone came from China. Is that the same thing that your kid's Fisher-Price toy came from factory? No, it's not. Um, and so the fact, we know where it's physically located is tertiary to what's actually happening at the, at that factory. And the fact that he wasn't a musical instrument industry guy um, also you know, is really very comforting because, again, we can say, okay, here's how you need to do this. If you walk into a guitar factory and you say, I want you to make my hardware, 
they'll have their ways. They'll go, great, we have this plater, and we have this die-cast maker, and this and that, and this mold maker, and you're going to get a die-cast zinc part, and some of it might have corrosion in it built in already. You know, right out of the... Come standard. Of, uh, yeah, come standard, yeah, with the already rusted from the inside out. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's the sourcing game. I mean, I know companies who have fought that tooth and nail. They have... They've switched suppliers four or five times, and they still can't get somebody to hold tolerance. You know, part tolerances. Sure. This guy, this guy holds tolerances. Um, they're phenomenal. Yeah. 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 Really yeah. So yeah. you know, I was lucky that that Nick, our man, contacted me about four years ago. Out of the blue, I got this email. Would you like to buy my hardware? And I was like, <laughs> Nah, but can you make mine? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I sent yeah. him this drawing. Literally, I sent him this drawing, and. Um, Two months pass by, I haven't heard anything back from the guy, and all of a sudden, this ended up in the mill. I was like, what the fuck is that? You know, so I opened it up, looked at it, and it's like, oh my God, that's the part that I designed. So, <laughs> and this wasn't perfect, of course, because it was just, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for, and I'm not saying I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't know what to expect. So, I kept on developing it and talking with him, and, you know, product development, as Frank can say, costs a lot of money. You know, it costs a lot of money in tooling and setting it up and everything like that. So every dish, every part that we make has to be newly tooled up, which is very expensive. Okay. Uh, and with Nick's company, we can do this. And it's, it's, it's great, you know. Um, so we get to the next stage now in product development. It's like with our tremolo. Every part is now machined, mm-hmm. which is very labor intensive. Okay. Even if people think, oh, but Chinese labor is cheap. Well, yeah, it depends on. It's not. Yeah, it still has to be done. Sure. It still has to be done. Sure. No, uh, yeah. his, his engineer does not work full of bowl of rice every day. You know, um, he wants yeah, to take his family on holidays. And, um, it's not one of the sweatshops. This is a, a legit company. And um, yeah. I just had a, com- a conversation with him before where he wants to take this really to the next step. Mm-hmm. Where I still have to talk with Frank and go like, you know, did we really nail it on the head now? It's 200% good enough. <laughs> You know, ninety nine point nine because I'm not satisfied with the nine with that. Yeah, you don't mind if we shut off the feed before we have a business meeting, do you? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to hear that kind of stuff. You know? no, everybody no. wants to hear about it. It's it's for no, me. Yeah. I, I want to make sure that it's just a thread again. How it's uh, you know <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it it has to be full on hundred percent. So we know that once customers get our hardware, there's no issues with it anymore. You know, they're going to go, all right, we nailed everything. We've yeah. done all the research. We've done the testing. And um, here it is. And, yeah, that's how we can keep on building our parts and, and, and getting a bigger catalog. Okay. But it takes yeah. time. Yeah. That's the way I've done product development, you know, for my entire career. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be right if it's within my control. I mean, there's sometimes when you know, an engineer puts the wrong capacitor in the thing, you know, and you get the first batch and all of a sudden they're squealing and you know, what the heck is this? Well, I, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. I, you know, I changed the capacitor, but I didn't put it in the bill of materials, so they gave it to us with the wrong capacitor. Okay, well, we'll get through it, you know, but uh, but where within my control, I mean, man, when that like when that fluent stuff hit the ground, and this is a testament to, you know, testament to Fishman's, you know, R&D, um, team, of, obviously, because they, they do the exact same, you know, they have the same philosophy. We work well together in that regard. Thank goodness. And uh, that, uh, you know, I'm so blessed that to be working with people like that. And um, my gosh, 
when that stuff hit the ground, I mean, it was amazing the first time out. There's no round two, you know. That classic humbucker set, you know, the first time it it, it hit the 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 Greg Cocktail set that came out, the Strats, the you know, the subsequent you know moderns and all these signature products. Um, if it wasn't good, people wouldn't be switching. You know. So Frank, uh, are they available in single coil and humbuckers? The fluents? Yes, they are. A, okay. Yeah, there's fluents. Telecaster, that's the Greg Cox signature set. Ah. There is fluents for Stratocaster. Yeah. Uh, you know, single coils, three single coils. Um, there's also single coil and humbucker combinations where the single coil has a special voicing preamp that will borrow a coil from the humbucker to create the two and four sounds or whatever. You know, nice. and it's you know, so they're splitting and they're you know, all this stuff is happening. Yep. Uh, intelligently, it's happening, you know, automatically. Okay. And they all have at least two voices, so all the pickups have, you know, two distinct sounds. They may be similar to one another if we're intending on selling a product to somebody who wants two, you know, similar sounds, right? But they're independent to one another, meaning one sound isn't that, like, an adaptation of the first sound. Okay. It's not this sound plus a mid-range boost or this sound with some treble taken away or anything like that. Yep. Um, we have two completely distinct voices contained within these things, sometimes three if there's a single coil voice, especially like those bass pickups. They have three completely distinct sounds and, a, like, a, a mid-cut that's selectable, you know, nice. or, a fl or a mid flat. It's phenomenal. Yep. Single coil, humbucker, you know. Uh, so like double blade, you know, bass, soap bar, yep. or single coil, like a jazz sound. Yep. It's all contained within the same pickup. Uh, so there's bass, there's a lot of humbuckers. A lot of the humbuckers happen to be signature humbuckers uh, because that's how, you know, these artists would want to be with us. They'd come on board and that would be a chance for us to make another model of a humbucker. So we'd say, oh, it sounds like this. It's got a certain sound. It's attached to that artist. It's what the artist wanted. But, you know, by the time you look across our catalog of humbuckers, there's a whole lot of different sounds that you can get. Nice. You know, nice. Okay, so we, we yeah. talked a lot about electric guitars and uh, pickup design, etc. Acoustic guitars, because Frank, you, you do build acoustic guitars, as you've mentioned as well. Is that a whole different challenge there? Uh, are the customers very different in what they're wanting out of a guitar uh, when it comes to acoustic? How, how is that different for you when you sit down and go, okay, I've got to design an acoustic versus uh, an electric? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so do you mean the guitar, right? You're not referring to like a pickup system. Well, you mean making just acoustics. the guitar in itself. Of course, there's going to yeah. be um, there's going to be uh, pickups yeah. that go along with that. Do you design the pickups for so your like, guitars as well? I I have done some in the past. So I, I had a system I did when I was at Duncan. Where I worked with the engineers, and obviously they designed the system. I'm not trying to say I was in there, you know, soldering electronic parts. Yep. Um, but uh, but there was a system that I worked on, you know, with them that came out uh, really great. Um, I have I don't work with Fishman on the acoustic side in any capacity other than Larry and I will talk about some stuff and you know body sensors and this and that and, but but no I'm not you know my role with them happens to be on the electric side on the fluid stuff. Okay. When it comes to the guitars, I come at it from a unique perspective in that I do have this patented bridge design that in a way is it's a it's a some of the marketing language is similar to Fluence in that I have more bandwidth. I'm getting more highs, more lows. I'm, I'm getting more for less. I invert the torque in such a way that the top is now free to vibrate. It's still being driven by all full 175 pounds of string tension. Um, so I didn't take the string tension and bring it off to the side or anchor it somewhere else or pivot it, you know, against something. I just invert the torque right there in the center of the top. So what that means is it's almost it's it's almost like. Uh, 
I'm working with a complete EQ band where I can manipulate it. I have everything at my fingertips and I can manipulate it. Whereas a lot of other acoustic guitar makers, if they want to change a characteristic of the resonance and the low frequencies or this or highs or lows or whatever, they're doing so at the detriment of something else. Okay. My guitar has about 30% less bracing than a normal acoustic guitar. And yet even for that, it's over braced for the amount of uh, physical uh, pressures and pressure points, you know, the torque and the tension that's placed upon it. In other words, it's, it's, it's healthier and there's 30% less bracing, you know, but it's, it's, it's going to last, you know, longer. It doesn't buckle over time, you know, okay. pull with the string tension over time. So when I'm dealing with the customers, really, then I get to say yes a lot. So a customer goes, man, I had this old, you know, 1960s Gibson Hummingbird. It had this great deep low end, you know, can you get me that? Yes, of course. You know, how do I do that? Can I get that? I still want the crystalline treble, though, of this new tailor that I bought that doesn't sound very broken in and has very, very tight non-resonant bass. No problem. I can give you that very, you know, distinct top end as well. Yeah. Um, how about the mid-range? Can it be open? Yeah, it can be open and vocal. Or, you know, I want the mid-range to be sort of flat. I want a strummer, you know, so that I'm kind of like you know, leading a band or leading a worship service. And, and I just have that jangly sound with a little scooped out mids, but the highs are there and the body is there. So it doesn't sound thin, like a, you know, like maybe a thin body ovation or something like that. Sure, sure. No problem. I can yep. get you that. I can get you that too. So I designed my guitars, you know, the body shapes obviously have an influence on the sound, but I've designed the guitars to sort of just uh, make more people happy within the same kind of range. You know, if you like it, you know, you like I like dreadnoughts. Okay, well, do you like Gibson dreadnoughts? Or do you like Martin dreadnoughts? Or do you like Taylor dreadnought with a cutaway? You know, you kind of fit into some of these different camps. Well, when someone plays my guitar, whether they're in any of those three camps, they're usually like, oh yeah, I like it because it has that thing I like about the other guitar that I was always, you know, that I always liked. So, I, I think that's my way of not answering your question is to like, if you're a traditional luthier and you're building with a Martin style bridge, yeah. It's, it can be a lot more challenging, especially when the acoustic player says, I'm going to hit it like this, and I'm going to do this, or I'm going to finger pick, I'm going to strum, you know, and I want you to make the guitar to, you know, to do a certain thing or be a certain way. That's when there are, in fact, a lot of acoustic guitar makers who will make it, put strings on it, and only then realize that they got only about 75% of the way there, you okay. know, and they and they misfired on a couple of things, but it's close, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's because those there's a lot of nodes that are there's a lot of comb filtering there's a lot of things about an acoustic guitar where it's going to do something and then that's going to uh, cause phase cancellation and comb filtering somewhere else. Okay. Um, and then you get that warbling and the woo -woo 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 sound when something's a little bit out of tune. You know that's because the two parts of the acoustic guitar top are not operating in phase. They're out of phase with one another. There's sure. some push and there's some pull. Yep. Now those when they convolute together they become the sound. But within that, you can have these things where you're like, this guitar is great for finger picking, but not strumming, and vice versa. Well, with my bridge design, it's both of those things. I can finger pick very lightly, and it, and it distributes that sound very clearly and cleanly across the top because it's phase aligned. And then I can just keep strumming harder and harder and harder, and it just gets louder and louder and louder. You know, it doesn't hit that brick wall mm -hmm. like a guitar that's been you know, underbraced. Or, sure, sure. You know. Now, I've noticed with it, when it comes to acoustic guitars, it's a very subjective thing as to what people like. I've got some friends who are out there, solo acoustic uh, singer, 
singer, just play, yeah, uh, doing solo gigs. Yeah. And uh, some of them like a really mid-rangey sound. I've noticed uh, some of the Australian acoustic guitars here, like we've got Mayton, um, Cole Clark. Cole Clark. To me, they've got, whenever I've tried to record those in the studio, they've got a very pronounced mid-range, um, mm. upper mids, you know, 1, 2K, it's very in your yeah. face. Whereas yeah. Taylor, uh, I had a bit of a shootout here. About a year ago, I rounded up maybe 10 acoustic guitars. And there was this mm. one, it's from my friend, big fella Link, that uh, commented earlier. Uh, his Koa Taylor, and it's a few years old now, and he, he keeps saying to me, it's just getting better with age. There oh, was yeah. a whole yeah. extra octave going on yes. down low in frequencies yeah. and as soon as you yeah. strum it and you hold it you feel it you're just like yeah. fuck me feel mm -hmm. that feel that yeah and it didn't have yeah. any of that honky 500 that i had to pull out on some of the smaller mm -hmm. um, smaller matins um mm -hmm. but those some of those had that cut and my friends who are out there doing their solo gigs need that bit of a cut and they might not like yeah. that sound um do you think that's something that comes down to the woods that's used? Is that something that can be tuned with other things like bracing, pickup systems? Yeah. It's it's honestly all of the above. There is a, a lot of merit to the body size, yep. the size of the box, right? Because if I have a small, you know, small box versus a big box, um, that's obviously very much influences the sound that comes out of the guitar that you hear when you're sitting in front of the guitar. Um, the surface area of the top, from the size of the body that surface area is like do i have a kick drum you know or do i have a little snare or a little tom you know so that the ability of that top to vibrate either in a small area or across a bigger top it's gonna it's gonna vibrate differently but yeah so much of that comes down to the bracing yes of course some of it comes down to the wood where someone says well i like a mahogany guitar because it sounds like this no i like rosewood because it sounds different it sounds wetter or it sounds you know, whatever, Team, you know, it, the highs are more musical or whatever, you know. And so there, there are definitely differences in the wood choices. In the similar way that Fluence technology sort of enabled me to see and hear more clearly um, what some of these other differences were, like I know everyone theorizes, or they, you know, everyone knows pretty well what the difference is between Aldico magnets and ceramic or a certain type of Aldico or whatever. Sure. There's a bunch of different reasons why, inductance, reluctance, you know, the uh, gas strength, etc., conductivity, but the, with the fluence core, I was able to hear all of those differences in isolation because the fluence core is not affected by any of those other things, you know, that will now change the sound of this pickup. With my bridge, I have the top vibrating in phase, so the whole top surface is vibrating in a very happy, friendly way, more like a drum head or a speaker cone. And so then, you know, I'm able to hear, I feel like, you know, I'm able to hear the difference between a mahogany back and sides and a rosewood back and sides a little bit more clearly. And I mean that scientifically clearly. I don't mean, you know, auditory or whatever. I'm able to understand it with a little bit greater detail because that delta, you know, of all these other things like, oh, man, well, this box is just this size and the Hemholtz resonance of the box is this and, and it's woofy at 175 hertz, but it's, you know, it's thin all of a sudden now at like 220, you know, whatever. And that's because you have a, you know, there's comb filtering, there's a node there or whatever, you know, wherever you place the mic, you put it in the wrong spot. You got the mic where 220 is basically getting killed, killed you know, it's canceled now. Yeah. Um, my top doesn't do that, you know, so I'm able to sort of listen to the box. So, yes, the wood absolutely makes a difference. Um, the bracing pattern is really important. Uh, but, yeah, you can – so a, a good acoustic guitar maker can manipulate – I mean, like I said, they have 
they have dozens upon dozens of things that they can manipulate to sort of make that soup, you know, taste sure. like their soup, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, more things cooking. that you can manipulate than you can with a, you know, if someone says, well, make me a maple top mahogany back, single cut away, you know, Les Paul style guitar. Um, there's fewer things that, 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 you know, that I can manipulate, you know, to produce, to change the acoustic timbre of that instrument than there are, you know, with the acoustic guitar. Sure. But I got my parlor... My parlor guitar is a small guitar. Yep. If you mic it, you know, if you mic it, you know, kind of in that meat potatoes area, it will record like a dreadnought. It has the high frequency content and the low frequency content of a much larger guitar. For some people, they don't want that. The reason they grab a parlor guitar is because they want that little tiny, you know, mid-rangey sound. Um, and that's cool. There's a hundred different parlors that you can buy to produce that. Mine happens to be a different thing. Mine produces a little more range. You can still EQ that, right? You can take away things. You just can't put them back. You can't put something back that wasn't there. Sure, sure. So, so um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you guys um, before we wrap it up, we've almost been going for two hours now. Um, next joint. Sorry. Come on, hey, we just started. Yeah. I know, I know. Do you guys the time zone, listen, I'm good with to the time zone, you guys are. I haven't even started yet. Okay, we'll keep chatting. We'll keep I'm, chatting. I'm not even. It's not even Monday yet. not even Monday yet for me. So what's the, <laughs> I'm good to keep going. I'm not then. even here. Yeah. So I, I did want to ask you travel. about. Um, yeah, I'm just reading the comments there. That base you mentioned came in about five to six years ago. Uh, okay, so I just want to ask about neck joints when it comes to electric guitars. Uh, mm -hmm. what you think about the different styles of neck joints and how that affects tone. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely influence the, the feedback loop, the loop between the end of one end of the string, the other end of the string, yep. and how those things match up together. I have some neck joints that I do, like a very deep set, you know, neck joint. But, you know, there's a dozen other things that I do, like a two-piece neck construction where I'm aligning the tree rings, you know, yeah. and the grain, and I'm opposing them and this and that. So I, for me, it's part of a more – it's much more holistic as part of a bigger recipe. If you just distill it down to Fenders versus Gibsons versus Neck Through Jacksons, you know, um, yeah, they totally do. And they do have a difference in the sound in the same nature that I told you about with more SPL and, you know, plugged in or, you know, it's more of a difference plugged in yep. through an amp, I mean, yep. you know, than it is in, in, in headphones. But, uh, but yeah, they can, like, a bolt-on neck sort of frees the neck up a little bit more against the body. Yep. So the two things can vibrate a little bit more independently. Yeah. yeah, and so then so sometimes that results in less comb filtering out of the mid-range. So okay. like the mids are still now kind of more open because so each little thing is, you know, doing its own thing. Own little thing, but May the yeah. reverse can happen as well. Okay, you know? so maybe yeah. a, a tight-fitting neck pocket that everyone seems to be gunning for isn't so good? Isn't Oh, the tight fit is great. Yeah. Uh, that's that's universal. That's like we say what's better, what's worse. Sure. Um so no, if you're gonna have a bolt-on neck, yeah, the fit should be, be tight. wonderful. Yeah, yeah it should yeah. be. You know, sure. it's worse if it's you know just you know loose. Yeah. Um, you know, I once tried with this experiment where I basically built a neck, and the bottom part of the neck was actually extending, like a kind of a uh, a pellet, and you slid it into the guitar body, and it went underneath the pickups, and the last part of it actually ended up under the bridge. Okay. It it was a hell of a job to build it, um, but. <laughs> It, it, it really made a difference than yep. just normal bolter. Okay. Because the vibration went all the way through the body like a, uh, a neck through. Yep. But yep. you can still slide it out and put another neck in. So personally, as a builder um, and as a player, I don't like set necks. 
if something is wrong with the neck, you know, um, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Sure, sure. Um, bolt on neck easily, unscrew it, and get another neck on it, and box your uncle. Yeah, I, I don't um, know if I'm making shit up in my head, but I just hear a bit more of a, a snap uh, to the fr- <laughs> to the front end of a note on a bolt on neck, just more of a, a bloom, a boom, you know, that 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 initial yeah. initial initial plosive transient. Yeah. Uh, am I making yes. that up in my head, or is that for real? No, not at all. And that's the right way to discuss it. Actually, is an ADSR, right? The attack decay, the envelope, the early envelope. That's yeah. the right. Yeah, you know, that'd be the that's the nerdy way to talk about those things. And so, yeah, when you have, you know, uh, I know there's a, a poor analogy, but you know, you drop a stone in the middle of a lake and it vibrates out, and then it comes back towards the center again, and it vibrates out and comes back towards the center. Um, but I only use that analogy to say that, you know, neck and body, they're behaving differently. You pluck a string, there's going to be that initial strong attack. And then, that, like you said, that very early envelope where it starts to wiggle in and sort of get, you know, gets gets situated on a, on a guitar where there's total congruency, like a set, very glued in set neck, neck through. Um, that attack is, is, it doesn't seem, doesn't, it doesn't seem to It'll spike be- as high. Yeah. And then, you know, and then settle in. It's a little bit more linear. Sure, sure. So, yeah. And, it, and it's more linear in that mid-range frequency area. I'll give you that as well. Okay. So, like, the attack, the actual pick scrape on a neck-through guitar, for example, might actually be, depending on the guitar, depending on the construction, might be crisp. You know, it might be like, wow, man, I really get that click, you know, right on the front end of the string. Uh, but that mid-range that's you know follows in that early envelope right after the initial attack is going to be completely different. Sure, sure. Now, um, you mentioned ACDC earlier on and doing some some work on Angus's guitars to get get the sounds. Yeah. That was the first big concert that I'd ever gone to see when I was like twelve years old. I had seen other smaller things younger. Yeah. Man, that was mind blowing. That was absolutely mind blowing. Um, what's some live guitar sounds that you guys have seen? over the years like the, you've been to, to a concert and gone my god that's that's great like um, any, mm. any standouts for you I don't know I'm oh, first okay, well, so well I, for I me had it a, was I, sorry I'll, I'll just go jump in and say when I was, I was still I, in Holland yeah sorry. I was very uh, yeah. very surprised probably about five years ago one of the like the entertainment centre in Brisbane is notorious for sounding shit it sounds absolutely terrible yeah. it's just a big echo yeah. barn I saw John Fogarty and John had maybe another two or three guitar players playing with him, but his tone was the best sound I've heard in that room. It was amazing. I, you don't think John Fogarty, great guitar sounds. Man, he absolutely killed it for tone in that room. I just wonder if there's wow. any, anybody you've seen out there in recent years that you've gone, man, that's a great guitar sound. Um, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac? Oh, Man, I did an interview. It's it's on my YouTube channel okay. with uh, Stanley Lemondola, who was then the guitar tech for, um, you know, the man in Fleetwood Mac, not yep. our Kiwi guy. Yep. And uh, it just blew me away. Just how Lindsay just sounds and and plays and how he attacks the guitar. It's wow. That was like tone. Like this, how it should be. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. it sounds good. It's everything is there. It's not too loud. It's not too soft. It's 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 perfectly. The the thing that that blew my mind was years before that when I was still in Amsterdam helping out in a guitar um, <coughs> repair. Yep. Where a Dream Theater was just hitting the grounds, and uh, John Petrucci was still with Ibanez. So okay. we're talking a long time ago. 
Yep. And John Petrucci's guitar tech ran into our workshop with his seven-string guitar. It was a neck and a body. What happened the night before, I don't know where they played, somewhere in Europe, uh, John pulled the whole whammy bar, the whole tremolo starts out of the pocket, and it was like a crater of wood and crap. And I was like, can you guys... Termites, yeah, yeah, my special tone mood. Um, can you guys fix this for tonight's show? And we were like, um, we'll give it a crack. <laughs> and so we, we, we fixed it. Um, don't know how, but we did it. And Danny now both went to the, um, to the arena where it was, handed the guitar over to the tech, it was just like on the right time. And uh, it was like, right. Will this last? And Petrucci went like, all right, I'm going to fuck this bastard up, you know. In a state of tune and play it. And we're like, all right, we nailed it. That was like, okay, you know, uh, you fix this job on the fly. We're going to go like, normally you're Luthi going to go like, all right, we kind of cut this piece of timber out there, put new piece of timber in. And now we had to just improvise on the spot there and, mm. uh, and get it done, you know. So, but that was like, all right, you know, <laughs> we did it. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, you know, um, Lindsay playing his guitar with Fleetwood Mac, it's my, my, my thing, yeah. Nice, mm -hmm. nice. Any standouts for you, Frank? You know, with me, I, I, I'm too close to it, right? So I'm, I'm involved in this stuff all the time. So some guy I'll play, uh, you know, I'll know his tone is a certain way or it's good or whatever. And But I know what amp he's using. I know what the signal chain is, you know. So I'm sitting there and I might be like, you know. I he should have a buffer before that, you know, <laughs> a drive pedal or something. You know? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and so, but it's not that I'm critical. What I would say is, you know, because I do this a, a lot, by the time I end up going to seeing somebody, what I want to see is I want to see them happy with the tone that they're getting. I don't mean to sound like a politician about it or anything or give you a diplomatic answer, but I can tell when the guy who's playing is like, he likes what's, you know, he or she likes what's coming back at them, you know, yeah. from the amplifier. Yeah. And so, you know, tones that I didn't like a lot of times ended up being modelers, you know, yeah. and they're going straight to front of house. But then again, I'm listening to that a lot of times side stage, you know, so I'm hearing sort of stage mix blended with house mix. And, you know, because I'm just hanging out with my friends or something, you know, on, side, on the side. And... Um, and so it's a little bit of a different experience. Um, you know, I was I saw Ingve play in Italy. You know, and it's just him and his marshals, and it's fairly simple rig. Uh, but the what comes off of his fingers, going into those amps, coming out the other side, that whole recipe is dialed in. And so, while it's not a tone that I would play when I plugged in, that sound coming out of that amp for that gig that night was perfect. Because it was perfect for what he was putting into it. So I'm more like, you know, when you say like P-Rails, how did you invent P-Rail? Well, I knew that people wanted this, and then they wanted to pull up and go, oh, now I have that, yeah. you know, yep. instead. And so when I, you know, s some of my most enjoyable, most rewarding experiences have been going to a show, even if it's like a tone that I would never play through, where I'm not sitting there being like, oh, man, i got to buy one of those amps once this gig is over because that thing sounds amazing. You know, that's just me personally. But my favorite experience is when I can see that person playing and they're playing on the new pickups that we just finished or they're playing on some other thing that, you know, we worked on. And they're into it. They're more into it than that, that night than you knew that what they were into it, you know, the night before. So, I don't know. It's, you know, I kind of have a different... A different approach, and I with when it comes to tone, it's funny too because I work on this stuff night and day, 
but I'll have a way better time at a gig with mediocre tone where everyone's having a good time and the musician is expressing themselves, you know, than I will on, you know, something else. I mean, I could, I could watch Robert Randolph play, you know, his pedal steel all the time. His tone on pedal steel is amazing, but he still might have like a scratchy fuzz tone. It's meaningless to me. And I'll play lap steel and stuff. So I can, I can play with those sounds. It's meaningless to me if I were to throw a shoulder guitar on, and go and play through that particular fuzz sound or something. That's not the sound I would pick, but his recipe is completely different. Sure, and it's sure. making something that he likes to use. And yeah. so, um, you know, when I go to gigs for live sound, yeah, I'm much more into like, you know, is the band having a good time? Does the, is the tone come off of the, now, the you, player's finger? You, you brought up, um, well, Sorry, guys, just in the chat, I've been told that uh, your Skype volume is a lot louder than my mic over here. I've just, I think I fixed that, and somebody's just said it's better. Both of us, or just. Uh, no, no, I, I can actually control it here. I was thinking, how do well, I make I myself louder? <laughs> I actually just turned down Skype, and I'm hoping I'm not distorting. Link, Remco, can, not Remco, uh, Bernie, can you tell me, am I distorting at all now, my voice? Well, is um, it also Bernie? Yeah, Bernie's in there. Yeah, yeah. Also, Bernie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Scott anyway. Guys, you, yeah, you brought up the, the thing of, of modeling. Now, uh, yep, no, fine, great. Thank you, guys. Um, modelers versus real amps. And I noticed the amount of people who are touring now with modelers, and it does not sound the same. It doesn't sound the same. Right. I, I, right. um, I went to a big festival. I've been to a couple of big festivals. I knew which guys were using modelers, which guys were using real amps. First big thing of this was a Soundwave um, festival I went to a few years ago. And I saw these guys uh, who I knew were using modelers. And the sound was, it was okay. It was okay. It wasn't mind-blowing. When mm. Alice in Chains came on, and I know that Jerry Cantrell is using his signature Friedman amp. And, man, his sound just sat, his mid-range just sat that 3d thing just in front of the speaker and it just you could hear the harmonics going hello here i am i'm tickling your ears all these other guys yeah. using modelers that just was not there um so now, true yeah it's true but i understand why touring bands use it of course it, it comes down to dollars absolutely you know, uh, touring around with a camper or a fractal it's easy, you know. I got a little case. I put it in the guitar on the back, and I can play in any stage in the world. I don't yeah. have to muck around a two by twelve or four by twelve and a uh, a Soldano SLO one hundred, you know, yeah. uh, which which will cost me a fortune in freight in shipping it around the world. Um, the chance that you know valves break, um, power differences, all those kind of problems. You don't have that when you use those, you know, the fractal the um, um, uh, boss systems, the katana, you know, all all those yeah. modeling amplifiers. It makes it easier. Touring makes it easier. Yeah. And you know, you used to have to, you know, travel around with a Bradshaw switching system if you wanted to get all those kinds of all those different sounds. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, so yeah, my, I have a refrigerator rack just around the other side of this wall, the fourth wall. But uh, it's um, you know. So I understand it too. You know, maybe if I was in a touring band, I would take one around as well. Yeah. But I do know a lot of guys who have used the Kempers and the Fractals, and now they've gone back to the tube amplifiers, and it always happens. It always comes in waves. The next one comes out, the XFX3 comes out, yeah. or the Kemper floorboard, or the new software revision comes out, and everyone says, it's better now. They yeah. finally got, you know, good enough that I feel comfortable using this in a live setting. Mm -hmm. 
And then after a period of time, they plug into the real amps and, you know, they that's it. So, But I also have a friend like uh, Dino Cazares. He's played a lot of solid-state amps over his time because he likes, just like Dimebag did, right? He played solid-state Randalls. Sure. And so he likes the immediacy. He likes the tightness. He likes the way that those amps respond to his pick attack. So it's a shorter jump. It's a shorter gap for someone like him into a Kemper yep. with Kemper profiles than it is for somebody that's used to playing a Friedman. Um the tech work I'm going to do with Billy Idol's guy, right? Steve Stevens. Yep. yep. There's a Friedman amp and a Sur amp in that thing, and they are raging. Yep. They're so loud yep. on stage, they turn the cabinets around, they put blankets over them, they put a thing over, you know, baffle, yep. and this and that just to keep it contained. But the sound is unmistakable. Absolutely. You can't escape it. Yeah. You know, same thing is true with Jerry. We did, um, we're working with nothing's official, nothing's announced yet, or whatever. But if you had seen the last Alice tour, you'll have seen Mike Inez playing a Fishman pickup in his bass. Cool. Um, you know, whatever. I, I can't t- put that toothpaste back in the tube, right? It, it's he's playing it. So nothing, he, well, whatever it is. I again, I, there's nothing. There's there's no announcement or anything like that. The point is, um, you've seen it. You know, you've seen people have seen him him trying. Uh, our our pickups right yeah that means you know yeah i'm a few inches away from jerry Cantrell's rig or whatever you know i mean like i've seen these things in action and um dave friedman you know is a friend of mine and i've played his amps and heard his amps and i've heard him loud you know and there's just it just can't be you know it's like saying you know when i told you about the retina display on the iphone you know it keeps getting clearer and clearer and clearer i don't care how clear it gets it's still is not the same as me standing in a room with you sure. talking to you. Yep. yep. It's just you can't do it. So the synthesis can get better and better and better and better. But the front to back, the actual, you know, pick attack where you're playing, going into the valve, you know, valve one yep. of a of a gain circuit. Um I don't know if we'll ever get there, and I'm not pessimistic about it. Again, I love it. I just this morning I played through a Kemper, right? Yep. And it sounds fine. Yep. And I made the, those profiles myself out of my gear yep. that I have with my mics and whatever, you know. So I like it. It sounds good to me. But there is a an issue with latency. In other words, there is something that happens when I take an analog signal, I convert it to digital, I play games with it. I convert it back to analog, and then I, I and then it exits. There's just something that happens. Sure, there's sure. no way, you know, you no. can't do it. Now, one of my friends, Ken Susie, for example, he'll tour with a head now instead of a Kemper, but he'll use the two notes on it. So he's got, you know, the amp is still raging. It's still yep. doing what it's doing, but he's coming out the back of the amp with an impulse model, yep. and he takes that to the front of house. Yep. That's just, again, that's one step better than having to dink around and mess around with, you know, perfect mic placement every night. Because I'm sorry, you're just not going to nail it every night. So, you know, of course, you know, it makes sense to plug into something like that. I love that. Yep. You know, the, the IRs coming off the back of the amp, I think it's a great idea. Yep. Um, and I think that gets you there. It gets you that organic interchange between you and the amplifier while still giving the front of house something that sounds great. It's 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 linear and it's, you know, it's consistent sure. night to night. doesn't sure. matter what room you're in. Now, but then again, you know, if you're a small band and touring, you know, go for it. Yeah. You know, um, as I said, you know, flocking around amplifiers. I've done it when I was a guitar tech, locking around this big P5150 amplifiers. I still got a sore back from it. Yeah. You know, um, going one show in, out a show out, and it's like, it sounds great. Yeah. You know, and we all know, you know, an amplifier, especially a valve amplifier, sounds the best on the moment when it dies. 
So I was I was touring. Yeah, I was touring with the, the camper a few years back when I was doing this Queen show I, I mentioned earlier. I was one of the first guys in Australia touring with it, and it did sound good. It did sound good. I it became a bit of a joke when we have sound check that I would okay ready for guitar and I'd play a few big A G D chords and people would just run to the stage because we knew they were going. What the hell is that you're playing through? That sounds great out front. It was great for a live setting. Um, just mm. one one guitar player playing through this thing where it fell down and i ended up selling it and buying my friedman small box which i recently sold about two weeks ago and it broke my heart i'm just going to dig this pen through my heart right now um uh, people will get you new uh, ones no too. i'm not expecting anything mate i no i no 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 i i i don't ask people for, for stuff mate um but yeah, I sold it to fund the trip to Germany for the uh, 42 Gear Street. Mm. We're at Henning Polly's mm -hmm. place. Everyone should know about that. Uh, I'll do a promo. I'll release my promo real soon on that. Uh, but cool. anyway, when it came to using the Kemper, what fell down for me was it had a sound. It had a sound. Now, when you've got 2,000 patches for this thing and you sit there and you start scrolling through them and they all start sounding the same to you, mm -hmm. and we're talking radically different different amplifiers you know the 50 on 50 compared to uh a fender twin still started sort of sounded the same there was something so there was a yeah. common sound now this i did a i a band that uh, i play in i've never actually played in any of their records but i mixed a record for them um and they'd been to see me live and they went dude that thing you're playing through we've just recorded the album the tracks direct to the computer can you run it through that thing i'm like yeah i can do that i mixed yeah. the album they came back and they went that just doesn't sound like the other albums you've mixed for us, man. What, what, what gives? I'm like, well, A, I've always produced your other albums. I've made the selections of the sounds as we're going, and we used your amps. This time we're using a modeler. You've got three guys on the band playing guitar, all of who are double-tracking their tracks. There's six tracks going. Of that sound, that common sound, there was a element about it that just built up yeah. and built up and built up until it was just this wall of and yes. yeah i ended up doing borrowing their amps and re remixing a, a tune for them reamping it through it and gave that to them and they just went hell yeah that's what that's what the sound that we know you're for you know um yeah i ended up selling the, the kemper then and there I, I i really wish i had another one i'd still be using it but mm. i can't afford to have that and a friedman and you know all this um, but another thing that lets me down in those multi-effects units is um, the effects just aren't as good as an analog pedal. Now, no. I'm just going to run back here and grab a, a little toy of mine, which whenever I get a new modeler, uh, an Axe Effects, I've had Axe Effects, I've had Helix, I've had, um, yeah, you name it, I've had them all. I'm just going to grab this little thing back here. Talk amongst yourselves while he's gone. Whoops. Uh, Hang yeah, on, I just what, yeah, turned on the yeah, wrong camera. Yeah. I was supposed to turn on me <laughs> going back to grab this. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. you got to go up. you got to go higher. Your camera's higher. No, it's not. Wait, you guys are seeing me up there. I've got another camera down here. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this analog chorus yeah. absolutely eats 
any of the modelers out there and they all go how thick this is and i put this on and i've done ab's when friends have been over who don't play guitar and they just go well that thing there sounds better doesn't it um yeah it just can't touch that and i picked that up for like 50 bucks in japan or something about 10 years ago you know it's like and, you know, yeah. I had this big scare about, you know, I, I like my old rec gear. Yeah. Uh, I, I collect it. I put it all in a rec, and then I've got my IGM, you know, by, by Romanelli switching, all of that. Yeah. And I've got, you know, the TG Electronic 2290 dynamic delay in there. And I've got all kinds of other delay pedals. You can't get that sound. Sure. And it's sure. all analog. You know, it's 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 the best delay pedal. And it nearly died on me three weeks ago. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, but after 30 years, the valve basically incinerated it, so they put new valve in it and it brought back to life again. Wow, um, it's the same with the Evodite harmonizer that I've got in my rig. You can't get those sounds out of anything else, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and yeah, so that, there's stuff that's digital, they're like a, an old quadruple has a chorus sound in it that I find hard to get somewhere else. It's digital, but yeah. it's unique to that unit. And so sometimes you get something, and you know, unless you're going to duplicate the entire front-to-back signal chain, you're not going to you're not going to get it. So even though that chorus happens to be digital, like I said, it doesn't mean that the latest and greatest new digital multi-effects is going to be able to get that sound. Yeah, yeah. It's now, just not. You I've know? got sitting oh, sure. over here. I've got a um, uh, HX effects by Line Six which I bought uh, recently. I play in a group uh, called Absolutely 80s, um, mm-hmm. that, which is the lead singers of uh, quite a few iconic uh, 80s Australian bands. Um, a bit of a re- revolving lineup, and they've got a band in each state, and I'm, I'm the guitar player in, in the Queensland band. Um, and I, I got that because I needed to pull off the sounds of the records and needed everything to be compact. But yeah. uh, one of the the, well, the, the main band who runs the show, I, you're right, mate. <laughs> is um, from a group called Kids in the Kitchen, um, Scott Kahn. Now, to play a lot of his songs are uh, based on delay, almost like The Edge with U2 and they're playing against the delay. First run, I used this, and it was just nailed the sound of the record. It totally just had that, that fall off. Um, man, mm. I cannot get the Line 6 to do that convincingly. Um, yeah, no. It's close. No one's gonna, no one's going to be watching and going, "Hey, you're not right. using a, an original analog pedal." Right. It's just a difference. But where yeah. do you draw the line of being able to throw everything into a little fly rig and jumping on a plane, as opposed yeah. to spending a million dollars to haul this shit around? You know, yeah. so it's, it's a compromise. Yeah, it really my, is a compromise. My pedal board is is giant. You know, it's you know it's huge, and I don't have a small rig. That's just that's. Sorry, you know, I just yep. got to bring the big pedal train around. Yep. And it stinks, but I have all the sounds I need, so at least they're all there. Um, you know, again, like we said, if I was touring, would I take that board or would I try to get close with a Kemper? I don't know, maybe, you know. Well, but, hey, uh, look at Steve, look at the, you know, in the 80s, he was locking around, you know, this humongous refrigerator gear. Yeah. And now he's got a small pedal board and... You know, bought amplifiers, and you know, he still pulls the sounds out of it, what you hear on the old albums. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the end, it also comes down again to you know the magic sausage fingers. Absolutely, well, yeah. Out of it, you know. Um, there's this video somewhere surfing around on on the internet about Steve Lukather and Eddie Van Halen. Oh yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Right. You know, um, Eddie sounds like Eddie over yeah. the year and vice versa. Yeah. You know, um, and that's a, that's a yeah, classic I, thing. That's a classic yeah, thing. Um, you know, it, it also depends on you know, yeah. how it's been used in the beholder. Yeah, I, yeah. A good yeah, I mean, Eddie, you know, Eddie can't plug into a Fender Champ and make it sound like a browned up Marsh modded Marshall. You know, he can't. He, he can't do that. But you'll still be able to tell that it sounds like him. So I was going to mention Eddie Van Halen, good friend of mine. Um, their band Open. He is a good friend. No, no, no. He's not. No, but a, a good a good friend of mine's band opened for Van Halen back in the uh, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge tour. Back in the early nineties, yeah. and he would say that. Yeah, uh, oh no, he'll be a guest in here soon. Soon enough. Um, okay, okay, not, cool. not, not going to name drop, but um, let's just call him Dave. Anyway, Dave said that. Let's call him Dave. That, that um, Eddie would pop in and yeah, you know, pick up the guitar and play, and it just <laughs> sounded like Eddie Van Halen. Now, yeah. the singer in Dave's band was also married to Nuno Bettencourt for many years, so he, he knows Nuno very well, hang out with him, uh, and he would say the same thing. You know, he'd walk up, he'd go up to Nuno's rig and plug in, expecting it to sound like Nuno, and he goes, no, nah, it just still sounds like me. Um, mm-hmm. So these guys all have a way of playing that just yeah. sounds like them. And I know I can play through stuff, and there's a certain way I hit a chord, and I go, fuck, it just, it just sounds like me. I like it or, or, or hate it. it I kind of hate the way mm. I sound, but um, yeah, there's just a way that everybody touches the string that yeah. sounds like them, isn't there? No matter what you're playing yeah. through. You know, it really with, is. With, with, with guys that use a lot of effects, you know, for example, you two, The Edge. Yep. I've done an interview with Dallas Shoe. Yeah. Um, oh, what is it now? Eight years ago when you two was in, in Australia, Rick? Yep. Must be a long time ago anyway. I've done an interview with Dallas and it's, it's on YouTube somewhere. Sure. And and you go through the edges, Rick, and it's all the old eighties analog uh, uh, analog gear, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, or even vintage digital rack. Digital know, digital rack, you know, the Cork A three, which I got one year, you know, and it's all that. Now, most of the gear is all gone. It's all retired, and it's all um, fractal gear. Yeah, he's using axe effects mm-hmm. now. I I, see, I hear axe effects. Yeah, and he uses it just for the effects, not for the amp modeling or anything. Because now it's still. I'm not sure if he still takes his old Fox AC30 on the road. Is it? Does not. he have a signature uh, Fender amp now? He's got a signature amp, a Fender yeah. amp as well. You know, yeah. um, I hope that I will get an invite again to uh, speak to Dallas again now, yeah. so I can go like, hey, you, that was then ten years ago. What's changed? You know, this is the new yeah. week. Yeah. So, uh, I sent an email out to YouTube management, but so far I haven't heard anything back yet. And <laughs> I think they're going to be here in October. So if it happens like the last time. I got a phone call like the night before. Uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, Dell speaking. Uh, do you like to still come over for the interview? I'm like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> it was yeah. not Dallas show, and it was so. Yeah, let's hope. That's but cool. It would be interesting just to see, you know, that he went from all his analog old, you know, Cork uh, AG3 for his um, mysterious wave sound, you know, um, for his delays and all that, all to the XFX now. And yeah. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, well, you call your mates, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I think maybe we should wrap it up. We could keep talking for hours and hours. We could always do this again oh, yeah. another time, have a, a part two, because uh, I doubt yeah, people are going to want to sit down and sit through you know, hours and hours. Well, maybe they would. Next time, know. next time, plug in that ADA into that power station. So, us. yeah, when we were talking about earlier, uh, we were talking about um, 
different amps. I was running my Friedman into that power station and yeah. then into um, out of that into Pro Tools and using impulse responses uh, for some guitar yeah. recording. And I tell you what, that, that sounds pretty good. That's pretty close. Oh, yeah. 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 But That's a there's, great a, there's a slight, slight um, latency issue that I've got to work out because I'm going to start live streaming yeah. demos in the next couple of days. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just working out some latency issues with that. But that's the plan is um, when I get various amps to be able to plug in through that. Um, yeah. And I'll, yeah, the old ADA sounds really good with a clean boost pedal in front of it. That brings, oh, yeah. that brings a bit tunes. of magic to it. Another time, I'll give you some hints and tips and tricks on that one. Awesome. Like that'd be great. Amp in front of V1 for more headroom going into the first two and stuff like that nice but uh, no, that's a great, <laughs> yeah yeah mine's mine's modded you know but i you know i modded mine not for the high gain not the thing where people want to blow the doors off yeah i modded it for more a little bit lower gain okay and let the tube breathe and you know um there's still plenty of gain i mean holy cow you never probably get the lead channel you know on that thing above six seven you know and gain so there's plenty of headroom in there on the tube side but there is an up amp there's a little bit of clipping prior to the first tube stage so nice. if you put a higher headroom op amp in there because, okay. you know, you're, it's a little more opened up to V1, which is what happens in a tube amp. But that that's another unit. That was designed great. It just came out in a time when everyone cranked it all up to 11 and used it for shred. Sure. It doesn't mean it doesn't have a great tone. Okay, you know? okay. I'll tell you what, Frank, yeah. I'd like to talk some more about that. Mate, do you want to join me another time? <laughs> and we could, because we could, seriously, we could do this. I plan on doing, at, you know, at least, I want to try and do this twice a week, you know, once with the, the guys behind the tone like you, and then once a week with uh, with players as well. So uh, yeah. if you guys want to want to join me at any time, I'd be. Anytime, anytime. mate. Yep. yep. Awesome. Anytime. No worries. Well, if uh, if so somebody you has. The questions there from, from your founders? What's that? Sorry, mate. So you got no more questions there from? No, oh, no, from I haven't, mate. This is early days account. yet, so I'm not expecting too many live viewers. But this is the stepping stone towards that. So yeah. I thank you very many much for your voyage. time, guys. It's been it's been great having you on here. And um, folks, if you are watching this, the replay, uh, be sure to uh, subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you can see when I do go live with it all. Um, you'll get the little ding, and I'm going to extend my little intro a little bit longer so you get. A few seconds so that you know what's going on so uh frank thank you very much and remco thank, thank you. you very much and folks yep. thank you i will see you next time bye now how do i end this this button <laughs>